This is Karen Hunter, and welcome to The Hub. Good morning, Nubians. Good Hello. morning. Hi, hi. Good morning, afternoon, evening. I know some Nubians, it's nighttime, it's dark. Hey, Dr. Carr, how are you? I'm fine, Professor Hunter. How are you? I am. I am. You know, seeing your face this morning. Yes, you are. You know, um, because I wasn't sure if we were gonna go live today, and I, but I inherently knew we would, because, because I, I, you know, we are we are tied that way, and yeah. um, yes. you know, so we we're, we're going to pay tribute today to Queen Mother Carr, and we uh, have so many to pay tribute. The yeah. ancestors. Uh, gained a whole bunch. There's a quartet I think we'll probably evolve. Well, a quintet if we count the young sister. Yeah, or the young brother, Regina King's son uh, took his oh, life. 26 years old. Yeah. Make it a sex yeah. then. Every week, every day, we see this. Yeah. So, uh, yeah so of course we were going to go, though. We could just say this at the onset in 30 seconds. When I see you, I'm looking at your mother and father. When you see me, you're looking at my mother and father. I mean, we when you hear my voice, and it's so funny this week. I mean, my mother tr- may transition uh, Saturday, I mean, uh, Wednesday morning. Uh, when you hear, I was, you know, when I hear my voice in class, this is my mother's voice. It's, I have my mother's voice. <laughs> you understand? When you hear me, you are hearing her. When you see me, you're looking at me. You look, but you're looking at her, and you're looking at my father. I mean, my kind of moral anchor, sense of right and wrong, that absolutely came from her. And the tolerance—that's so him. That's him. Study him. I mean, but we didn't create ourselves. So I mean, you know, she's here. And, I, and I love here. your pops is here. I'm looking at your dad. Yeah, you no, know, you absolutely look and listening to him too. Uh, no so question. He, yeah, for real. Um, <laughs> and no, it is. And you know, I've said this to you before. My whole perspective on death and life has shifted uh, since knowing you and. You know, there's a there's a calm and an understanding, and of even that the whole transition, and that they're never not here. And you got me talking to my grandmother and my father, and oh, you know, uh, on a regular basis, and tapping into their energy. And mm. uh, so I, you know, I was I, I knew you know the sadness is going to be there. Some of us carry it with us, and it oh, waxes and wanes. You know, but that's more for us who you know we're here missing them. But that's only for us. Yeah. So and and, so, and and a brother who made transition crazily enough in his time zone it was today this morning, uh, Thich Nhat Hanh, the Buddhist, finally made transition at age ninety five. I, I carry I got a lot of his books. It's this little pocket, uh, Thich Nhat. I keep that over in the back. But I mean, I, I didn't even pull all of them because you can't. I mean, he he ain't done nothing but right. Here go a handful of his books here. I keep wow. this is the most recent one, which is fascinating. And we'll talk about this in a minute. I just want to mention it though. He and Martin Luther King were friends. This is a new book called Brothers in the Beloved Community, the friendship of Tick uh, and Martin Luther King Jr. Though he met physically twice, King nominated him for the Nobel Prize in 1967, and he wrote him a long uh, letter. Remember when that Buddhist monk uh, set himself on fire, immolated himself in the Vietnam War at the beginning? He wrote a letter to King saying, you know, what we're going to do. What we're gonna do, and he and King formed a tight bond. But we'll talk more about that. The only reason I'm bringing it now is because, in the, in the context of what you just said, oh, come on back. We did. I'm gonna interrupt you. He said, "Um, there's no life. There's no. I mean, there's no birth. There's no death. There's only our perception. In other words, you know, is it? You know, we were born. We would die. He said, "Really? That's that's how limited your sense of what is is. 
No, just be in this moment and breathe and know that in this moment, you have the capacity nature has given us to be. And you think you were born. You think you died. That's a state. That's a condition. Just be in the moment. Perception is the gift that you have in this little space. But guess what? They came from where they came from. We going back. We all came from there. We all going back. <laughs> so anyway, you know, this. In this, fact, we never left. That's what Hoff would say. We never left. We are. This space is so ordained and spiritual. Um, this morning, I got to meet that brother because my sister, Sophia Chang, did a tribute to him. What? And I didn't know who he was, but this was her because she's Buddhist and uh, yeah. this was one of her teachers. And she was devastated. So she wrote a tribute to him. So I went down a rabbit hole this morning. I didn't know that you were going to do this. So it's all, you know, it's all connected and um, it, it just reminds us, and this is, you know, even this space in Nubia and what we are doing and what we've been able to create in less than, narrative hasn't been in existence a whole year. It hasn't even been 11, it's been barely 11 months. Mm. Nubia, Nubia hasn't even been in existence more than five months. Mm. In class with Carr, you know, we started that during the pandemic, but that has evolved. Mm -hmm. But, you know, that being in the moment and understanding that there's a purpose that your breath has yes. in all of us, which is why I'm so encouraging for people to bring a brick, because it's in that action of helping to build something, helping to create something in real time, which many of us don't get to see something form and develop and grow because of what we add to it. You know, it's just, I think, beautiful. And even this moment right now to have a discussion about how our ancestors dealt with death and life and then honoring people. And this is, this is, you know, we are here literally putting the bricks in place so that people never forget the people we never forget, the That's people right. we should never forget. So, That's right. man, they're going to be tussles. They're going to be messages we get the messages all the time like you say you're in conversation all the time now with your ancestors and, and 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 have been all over but i mean part of it is just embracing that and we understand that often they are mad at us and we don't even need to talk to them that because we already know what they would say like my mother there are things that she and my father didn't agree on but i'm both of them so that argument been going on in my spirit in my head since i came out of her womb you understand and so freed of that little encasing that she uh occupied for a blip you know if anything now there's no hedge so i can't physically call her or or sit with her and argue with her or think that somehow i am hiding something from her first of all you can't really never have nothing from your mom but sometimes you can't do it with your father, but you can't never really hide nothing from your mom. But here's the thing. Now that she's free to that case, she ain't do me no good. I mean, she can see it all. <laughs> but <laughs> but but the process of journeying to ancestorhood, the way African people have conceptualized it, and again, we think about our Africa. This is the importance of that African studies framework. Today, we're going to spend a lot of time in social structure and governance structure as usual, but also ways of knowing and ways of knowing and ways of being which we'll talk about more in a moment. But in that no, in that notion of time and space, which again, Han would say, you know, that's not real in the sense that we experience it, like a past, a present, and a future. Yes, in these physical bodies, we see the seasons, we see those things, we take them in and grateful for the movement through time and space. But in reality, eternity is eternity. It's very comedic. It's very Egyptian. It's very ancient African. 
in that regard. As we think about moving through time and space with our limited human capacity to perceive, even as we can develop that capacity to perceive as we release and let go of the things that are only real because we perceive them to be real, like fear and hate and all those kind of things. And that sounds great in the abstract to your facing somebody who, you know, hates you or thinks they hate you, which really means they probably hate themselves, which is what I would say, which is why this book is so fascinating. Mark Andrews, who is actually a, a minister, is a white dude. He is uh, Mark Hanley Andrews, the eighth bishop of the Episcopal Diocese of California. He's from Alabama, raised in Virginia, went to school. He went to see Thich Nhat Hanh. Um, and when he came to Washington, D.C. a couple of times, he said, I went to the National Cathedral, seats 5,000 people, and it was standing room only. And this little guy is sitting on these two pillows in the front talking very quietly. And you could hear a pin drop in there. And he he actually traveled to Vietnam to meet Han. And he sat with him uh, about six, seven years ago. And, of course, he had a stroke in 2014, which robbed him of his capacity to walk and also capacity to speak through his voice. But he could talk with gestures. And uh, Andrews went and sat with him and then sat with the people in the commune. Um, this is after years of studying and thinking and also, you know, thinking about Martin Luther King. He's from Alabama, white man from Alabama, mind you. And in listening to them and getting stories about the relationship of uh, Ha and King or Thick, maybe you should say, and King. That weren't anywhere else that are now in this book, Brothers. One of the things he emphasized was that this, this building of what King called the beloved community, and Hoff was was he, he in fact he 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 publishes in the entirety the letter that Ha wrote, Thick wrote when Dr. King uh, was killed, and in fact he says here it is, he says, here's the statement. It's just a statement. He said I was in New York. This is what Thick is saying. I was in New York when I heard the news of his assassination. I was devastated. I could not eat. I could not sleep. I made a deep vow to continue building what he called the beloved community, not only for himself. I'm sorry, not only for myself, but for him also. I have done what I promised to Martin Luther King Jr. And I think that I have always felt his support. That last sentence is very interesting because then he goes on to talk about all of the work. If you've ever read Thich Nhat Hanh, you know that mindfulness, being in the moment, is at the center of his practice. And uh, Andrews makes the argument that that is Hanh continued to develop that after 1967, 68, is really his, his, his contribution to building this beloved human community. And I said all that to say this, that work continues when we leave these physical bodies and at least in terms of many african ways of knowing including the africana ways of knowing meaning that includes us those of us in the so-called diaspora and the africans on the continent who have uh had forced into them other ways which kind of dissemble some of that stuff we can talk a little bit more about that later i said i have to say that my mother um at a physical age biological age of 93 her friend, my teacher, in fact, who rejoined her husband and her parents, Jamie Coleman Williams, the same Wednesday morning at 103 in Atlanta. We're going to talk about Jamie Coleman Williams today, a towering intellectual, 
Uh, she was the chair of the communications department, speech, communication, and theater when I was at Tennessee State. She taught Oprah Winfrey, which ain't even the, the, the highlight. In fact, we got into it. It's interesting. I'll tell you that story a little bit a minute ago. When I was student body president the year Oprah got her degree, 1987, and Dr. Williams had to talk to me as a 22-year-old because I was going to set the whole damn school on fire because Oprah Winfrey has a way of uh, remembering things that ain't necessarily what happened. And uh, we weren't very happy about it at the time. But, but Dr. Williams calmed me down. Uh, I will always love her. And so uh, from Louisville, Kentucky, went to Paul Lawrence Dunbar High School uh, in Louisville, moved around all over the place because her daddy was an AME uh, minister, went to Wilberforce. I'll talk more about her in a minute. But anyway, she joined the ancestors the same day my mother did. And uh, as you know, the following day, a sister whose name perhaps folk, uh, those who are here in Nubia and later will be watching this more broadly, who are familiar with Samba who are themselves Brazilian. I know Cedric, for example, knows this name well. Uh, she made transition on Thursday, uh, Elza Soares, in, in 91 years old. She, uh, Afro-Brazilian, one of the biggest forces in the music and the culture of Afro-Brazil. In fact, that she was known as a, a mix of Tina Turner and Celia Cruz. Those of you who know Celia Cruz, of course, from Cuba. Uh, but you know, that's in some way diminishes her impact. Very powerful figure. She made transition Thursday. And then, um, of course, we've already raised the name of Thich Nhat Hanh, who made transition today. Uh, but they're all now, that part of them, as the ancient Egyptians would think about our existence in, in segments, the Ka, the Ba, you have the fit, the Hect, you have the body. Their bodies are here. You know, those are remains. That's what we call them, remains. Um, their spirits there's the shadow of the self the personality and there's the essence that belongs to everything the scientists would nod and say well i don't believe in god but i believe in science okay so what in existence is inert nothing everything moves at the atomic level okay so what do you exactly what do you say in fact you need to go read the ancient egyptians because y'all got real confused when the europeans started started uh chopping stuff up he's you know body and mind body and spirit and, and then not seeing the connection between everything got real confusing but anyway i won't go too far on this i just want to make this point and then you know, you know going back because I, I just want to make this 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 observation the growth the attempt to achieve the beloved community doesn't end in africana ways of knowing when the physical body stops working in the way that we would call biological life uh, that journey continues. And so everybody who made transition, who makes transition, who's making somebody's making transition while we're talking, somebody's coming here while we're talking. They're they're arriving, they're departing, they're arriving, they're departing in this little space, in this little space. But that journey never ends. So all these ancestors that made transition last week, including my mom and Dr. Williams, including Elsa Soares, including Thich Nhat Hanh, and so many others, Regina King, uh, King's son, um, a young sister who was a student at Howard University School of Law, who uh, had blood, blood clot embolism and uh, made transition at age 28. She was in her last semester at Howard Law. We had a memorial for her Wednesday night at the law school on Zoom. They are all new ancestors. So their journey is just starting. Mm. So they're going to be revelations, in fact, that they have that will enhance their ancestorhood. And what you said about us keeping them alive i think huh might smile my mom and them might smile 
because life and death is perception. So us keeping them alive is really about us. <laughs> you understand? So those of us who are in this moment of reality that we experience and call biological life, to call on those ancestors requires us to tend to them. Mm. Because in strengthening them, they strengthen us. And that's why, and we'll talk about this in a moment, in the ritual kind of progression through the moments of birth, the rites of passage through biological life, the death moment, the interment ritual, the burial ritual, or however we deal with that moment of passage, which is really about an, uh, a moment of connection and establishing the process for what will go forth. The important stuff happens after that moment, because now in the memorializing, we'll talk about the difference between a death date and a birth date. All of that will bring in Martin Luther King and all that. That allows us to have access to them and them to have access to us, which is a very profound, profound moment. So we'll talk more about that in a minute. But when you said that, keeping them alive is absolutely that's on us. It's not on them. <laughs> uh, I also want to pay tribute to Cheryl Hickman, uh, who was the uh, chair and president of the Deltas, the Delta Sigma Theta. Oh, yes. She made transition on Thursday. Um, yes. So I just wanted to. Say yeah, that. And, and you know what? Yes, thank you, thank you. Daddy Williams was a uh, Jamie Williams was a Delta. Plays the Wilberforce. Daddy Williams born nineteen nineteen. So understand when I say she pledged at Wilberforce, she <laughs> she was sixteen years old when she went to Wilberforce. So we talking about? I'm gonna tell a few of them stories about Daddy Williams. So yes, please re raise her because again, and this is interesting. We're gonna talk in a minute about a uh, a good sister down. In North Carolina, Carla Holloway, who wrote a book about 20 years ago, it's been a new edition since, called Passed On, where she looks at the rituals of African people in the United States and the death rituals in the 20th century. And one of the things that she evokes is she writes a whole chapter with the basic theme of what we perceive as premature death. Mm. And mm. so, you know, in the case of Cheryl Hickman, that's perceived as a premature death. And in, in, in the case of uh, Solomon Burhey, who was uh, the sister I mentioned, 28 year old sister in Howard Law School, who actually was born in Eritrea. She's Eritrean and uh, came to the United States at three years old, lived in Arizona, went to Arizona State, then did some other stuff, came to Howard Law. Those are considered premature deaths. But uh, Dr. Holloway writes about um sister carla writes about not only emmett till not only like a dorothy dandridge who took her own life not only uh the lynchings that ida b wells you know chronicled and, and documented but she also talks about she and her husband's son who uh was in prison and was killed they say in trying to escape and and she starts the book with a very personal account but all of these be considered premature deaths but what is you know, and, and in a minute, I'm also going to bring in another book. I mean, I have a number of books on this, but this is probably the best single book, most recent book, John Mack's book, The Artfulness of Death in Africa, where he talks about what happens when, for example, a child makes transition. And, you know, how do you approach a child's transition? And so there's all kind of complicated, sometimes contradictory, but ultimately kind of resonant chords in how we deal with those whose physical time here in this place we kind of perceive as the the central reality there's all kinds of implications for how we perceive when somebody makes transition so yeah cheryl hickman madam president 
president of Delta Sigma Theta. And of course, you know, Ajwa and so many others. I mean, you see it all over social media. And please let me just say this as well to everybody. Thank you all for all of the the contact. I haven't been on social media for the last couple of days and it isn't out of grief. It's just, you know, I'm going to go back and, and, and respond and reply to everybody. It's just that the outpouring has been uh, overwhelming. Yes. And so, no, nah, overwhelming maybe. No, I, I was going to ask you, um, you know, because, uh, you know, people have been, of course, reaching out. What can we do? And we're doing it. <laughs> that's, you know, understanding you, I'm like, OK, um, you know, space and time. But how and everyone's different. Everyone grieves differently. Everyone perceives differently. But for you, you know, and I'm seeing a lot of condolences in, in the chat. Oh, yeah. Sure. How, how how do you want us to honor your mother? And you. Oh, uh, wow. There's an interesting book, and I'll fight the urge to go get it. It's another room. I know exactly where it is, too. John Isla, a few years ago, Cambridge University Press, wrote a book called Honor in African History or African Society, I think. And the concept of honor speaks to the best our potential, our bestness, our bestness. What is our best self? And, you know, it's interesting because my mother and father, with their sense of humor, which is that they both made physical transition, biological tra transition to the ancestors, back to the, to the essence during the first weeks of class for me. I have no doubt if that was intentional. <laughs> <laughs> it's very intensive because see my mother talked up until you know i talked to my mom the day before and let me pause here and express eternal gratitude to my sister gussie and who is named for my mother's mother gussie you know that's one reason i'm rocking the uh dallas county voters league join you know this is alabama dallas county selma my mother's born in um in russell county Lato, Seal, Alabama, same county as Michael Jackson's mother, Catherine. She, my Jackson's mom named Catherine, my mom named Catherine. Hers with a K, mine with a C. And so she was the baby of the family. She's the last of her siblings, so they're all reunited now. They called her Bebe. And if you know anything about African language systems, you know that doubling is kind of like the way that you emphasize to, to, to highlight. So Bebe, you know, Pop Pop, Mama, Nana, all those things. That, so at any rate, um the we think about honor and think about potentiality and i think about the idea of what is the best way for us to know what is the essence of a thing what is the character and quality of a thing and the reason i said all that is prelude to how i would hope we all honor each other in moments like this and honor our ancestors always is Really, the I got the roadmap for that the next day, because as I said, my father made transition, and I was in Philadelphia at the time. Got the news, got up, got on the forty-two bus, West Philly, took it down to Thirtieth Street Station, got on the train like I always did Thursday morning, and took the train to D.C. Got off the train, got on the metro, got off Howard Shaw stop, walked up to campus, 
taught my classes, had my office hours, came back to Philadelphia, and then said, okay, let's make these plans. Because my father went to work every day of his life. <laughs> you understand? So the idea that I would call down there and say, oh, can you come? What, man, what's wrong with you? Boy, I know I trained you better than that. <laughs> Do you understand? And nobody expected anything different. My mother made transition in the wee hours Wednesday morning. I did not know about Saran until later in the day. Because, in fact, I hadn't been down to Sankofa in, in, in a while. And I got a call. I was summoned to go down there. Haile Garima said, you know, Ackland Lynch is here. And, and Baba Ackland, you all know, he's approaching 90, one of the great intellectuals that we've produced, son of Trinidad. Uh, very just brilliant brother. If you don't know him, look that name up, A-C-K-L-Y-N Lynch. Um, riffing on a Blue Note is his latest book. He did one with Third World Press called um, Nightmare Overhanging Darkly. Just a brilliant brother on several faculties. He spent a lot of time at the University of uh, Maryland, Baltimore College. Before that, he was at Howard University for years. He was there when they, he helped organize the Toyota Black University Conference. It was one reason you, you had to get out of there. Like Nathan here and the rest of them. I mean, trying to turn an HBCU black and anything other than name and, and you know, accidental cultural encounter. It's a fool's errand, let me tell you. But it's okay because we've now jailbroken the black university and as you say we are building something now that looks like what we want honoring my mother honoring ancestors is really something that involves us looking at the potentiality so i went all the way around to say this i went down there and uh wednesday so you know talking to my sister talking to my brother and everything was in place we'll talk more about that when i talk about carla holloway's book in a minute Cause this is really a, a we all go through this moment y'all someone some of y'all know that old song that awful day will surely come <laughs> so it's very important to understand and by awful i know it means something different in the west awful in the moment of the boom but then of course we know the europeans wax and wayans the death wears that sting and all the triumph over the grave and all that but i mean you know we don't get into the bizarre notions of europe we're going to talk more about africana and the ways that the people of the world look at this question of transitions uh, but at any rate, I went down there, I sat with them, and uh, after, you know, Acklin and his folk kind of left, he was out, you know, running errands, and I said, me and Holly sat there, and Holly showed me a picture of his mother, I had never seen his mother, he got a, a, a picture, his mother made transition many years ago, but he'd had it mounted, and he showed me, we sitting there talking, and I said, yeah, man, tonight will be the first night I go to sleep on this side of my mother's womb, where, you know, she's an ancestor. And he said, oh, man, oh, really? And we just sat there and talked for a minute. And, you know, that's important because, you know, my father made transition in 2001. And you never know when. You know, my father uh, was diagnosed with cancer. I was there when they made a diagnosis in Nashville. He was in Atlanta with my sister and brother-in-law. And they were, you know, there. And he made transition very quietly. And kind of unexpectedly that day and my father knew how to slip he, he knew uh robert ferris thompson calls it correct entry and exit uh in the concept of death as we see it in, among african people and other people as well but i'm focusing on africana we talk about governance at this point who are we to each other there there are concepts of so-called good death so for example um in 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 the awfulness of death in africa and many other places too john mack writes about the the idea of uh how people make good death versus bad death um so you know there are different burial practices among different people based on who you are if you 
uh, make transition and you ha don't have any biological children, there's a set of procedures, there's a set of rituals in different cultures. If you have children, okay, there's another form of ceremony, another layer of ceremony is that if you have grandchildren, then you get the kind of, and then if you're a community, like my mother was named the queen mother, shout out to my man Umar Jate and, and the people in Nashville at a Kwanzaa, this is about maybe, it's over 20 years ago now, but uh, they had the Nashville Queen Mothers. She was the last of that group that was initially initiated to make physical translation uh, transition. So Mother Brunson and all those folks, you know, who are now there, she back with them, along with all them women on the mother's board that handed out the candy. Some of y'all know what I'm talking about. I'm really talking about how you honor her. What I'm saying is you honor all of our ancestors by remembering what they poured into you. And so, yeah, I left, I came back. And when I got back here, I was supposed to have class. So you know, the students dutifully logged in and we're sitting there and I said, we're not going to have class tonight. I just wanted to, you know, check in with you all. Uh, we've all found out about Saran. They're having a memorial for her online at seven. We'll all be there. And so we logged off and then went on to the memorial. But the next day I had my undergraduate classes. And I tell you, uh, my hip hop class Tuesday afternoon. Uh, there's a young brother whose family, um, you know, very close to us here in the D.C. area and beyond uh, the Salams. Um, his mother, Lafoma, Dr. Dr. Lafoma Salam, very important. His father, uh, his brother, Sessa, and Amoa is in my class, young Amoa Salam, who started coming to my class when he was a middle school student, because Howard has a middle school on campus. And my man, a master teacher, um, uh, Brother Tashango. Tashango and Billy Shaka, when he taught at the Howard University Middle School for Math and Science, a couple of times a month, he would bring his morning class over to my Education in Black America class. And uh, I missed that. Uh, let me pause here and say that Black colleges, many of them have high schools on campus. Well, some of them, Alabama State, Grambling University, Southern University. They call them lab schools sometimes. Some of them have daycare centers. Howard has an early learners center howard also has a, a public charter middle school on campus and if you are at a school if you're at, at an hbcu where they have that kind of thing if you're a member of a faculty you should throw your doors open to those children because they begin to see what they can do even when they come in coming to school in the morning they see everybody else you should always have their door open. so my door was always open to just about anybody of course it always was but for those middle school students so a more would come and sometimes he'd be better prepared than the students who were in there so now you know he's grown and he's a student at howard and he's in the class and so my final assignment for the hip-hop class uh is they have to compose an oriki an oriki is and i wish i had a good let me see if i I probably don't have it where. Oh, yeah, look at that. Look at that. Look at that. My man, Roland Abiodun, wrote a book called Yoruba Art and Language. It's the seeking of African and African art, Roland Abiodun. And Abiodun defines Oriki, A O R I K I. And Oriki is, let me see if I can give you a sense of what Oriki is. It's so funny because he says, what makes African art African art? Right. And he's like, like, let me just show you. Here's the difference. You see Michelangelo? Yeah, Europeans, you can make a statue look like the person or you can make a statue look like the concept. And people say, oh, African art is primitive art. You don't know nothing about that. Don't you know we could have made this thing look exactly like me? But why did I do that? I look like me. What are the principles? Why'd you make those eyes? Because you should see. What make the ears? So you should see and hear more than you talk. And guess what? The mouth ain't open. 
the mouth is closed. And the stance, generosity, usually with the arms extended. And you will see that. I just I have a lot of different art books, of course, and some of them are dealing with funerary sculpture. We're going to talk about tombstones and all that. Uh, here's one, uh, Bangua Funerary Sculpture. You know, this is a this is an older book. But the point I was really just showing you all these pictures is that African art is usually conceptual. It conveys concepts. And so Ariki is a form of conveying a concept. And let me see if I can find, yes, Ariki is the fundamental epistemological building block. Instead of epistemology, let's just say ways of knowing. is a fundamental way of knowing in Yoruba poetic discourse. We deploy it for accounts of all objects of consciousness and of our worldview, of our ways of knowing. In other words, if you can perceive it, then you attempting to describe it is Oriki, is, is the beginning of Oriki. Nothing is exempt from it. Kings, gods, towns, animals, plants, and he says, you know, thus, if you want to talk about cassava, and this was where we would need Dr. Amin to talk us about, you want to eat cassava, eat that, that, that melon, eat that fruit. He says, an oriki of cassava might be something like the young bride who rubbed her body with camwood. Meaning what? The valuable thing. In other words, you speak in terms of proverbs, right? And so, in fact, let me read you one of the oriki of white people. According to the Yoruba, this is, I mean, let me, no, in fact, let me not, let me not misquote. Let me just quote exactly what, what uh, Abiodun says. He says, the Oriki of Europeans is, quote, a pair of shorts that can worry a large embroidered gown, end quote. Now you have to sit with that one. Okay. <laughs> Europeans, no, a pair of shorts that could worry a long, a large embroidered gown. <laughs> in other words, what is the thing that does the unnecessary thing? <laughs> you know, why do you even have that? I mean, you know, but but you have to sit with it because I mean, anyway, I started to say this. So my mother made transition early Wednesday morning. Dr. Williams made transition early Wednesday morning. You know, with the we I found out, you know, uh, later on about what had happened at the law school. So you know, Saron had made uh, transition. So we had to reach with the next day. I go to work just like I went to work. When my, my father made transition, but I'm not on a bus to a train back to a train back to. No, I turn on my computer. And in those in that 24 hours, your ancestors are speaking to you. Some have a conversation with my mom all the time. And parent, let me footnote this and say it's very challenging, I'm sure, for folk who have been socialized to think about death differently with fear. And I was socialized that way. We all did. Growing up, if you went to the church and they started singing them songs about death and to meet your mother in the skies and all that, as a child, you looking up like, well, where's she going to be? Okay, now you're in trouble. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's like pictures of God with hands, that anthropomorphic thing. The minute you begin, I'm thinking about how again, reducing reality to an anthropomorphic definition, you got problems. because but And Europe couldn't see that when they came to Africa. So they looking for pictures of God. They, and they had mistook the statues for pictures of God. All these people got to be, hey, everybody calm down. Take a breath. Breathe out. You see that breath? No, exactly. That's God. I should. Yeah. You can't, but y'all looking for statues. Boy, these Europeans. See what the Africans do? They start playing with them. Yeah, they go to the statue. That's it. Because you can't argue with them. 
they are a pair of shorts that worry a large embroidered gown. <laughs> you understand? Oriki. In other words, so, so we're talking about Oriki because one of the assignments, Thursday, I'm at work, and one of the assignments is, for my hip-hop students, you got to write an Oriki of hip-hop. Now, we're going to spend the whole semester talking about the, the, the tributaries that fuse what we call and label hip-hop. And it's really a social structure label. So we've already started, right? Oriki. Yes, yes. O-R-I-K-I. And so Moa is in there, and the Salams are like um, a number of families in the African-centered movement over the last half century or more in the United States and beyond. Um, they are like the Okotos here in D.C., Nation House, the African-centered movement. So many other families I could name who understand, you know, they were born in the United States, but, or the Caribbean, or Latin America, wherever you want to say, some of them in the continent of Africa, but they are Africans. And so they've embraced the African language, African culture, Yoruba culture, Akan, very deep in the movements here in D.C. Uh, tree speakers, they learn tree. I mean, it's very important. So this young brother has from birth, his mother and father made sure he's grounded that he and his brother. And I so enjoy listening to him because he has the mannerisms that I have, because that's how my parents raised me, even though they speak no African languages. They are African people, as Ron Walters said. The question ain't become ain't when you became a southerner or from DC or where you where you from Jersey, whether you're from Jamaica or Haiti. No, the question is also when did you stop being African? The answer is you didn't. So he's very respectful in that sense. You know, in class, we talking, you know, and he unmuted himself and he said, you know, Baba, I think and he's he he just naturally says Baba. Right. And a lot of these students, they always you they say Dr. Carr, you know, of course, that's what you would think in the university. But his, you know, obviously, he's I'm older than him. So we started talking about Oriki on Tuesday. That was the first day of class. My mother makes transition Wednesday. Thursday, I'm back. We're talking. And it's fascinating to me. Because the morning class, my 810 class, I told them about Dr. Williams, Jamie Williams, and I told them about my mother. Because my thing is, part of us being in community, how we honor ancestors, is to acknowledge when they make a transition and start their journey into eternity, into ancestorhood. And so, you know, they were saying in the chat, oh, condolences, condolences. And I said, thank you. And I understand that the reason I bring her up is because I want y'all to understand that much of what you hear from me is her. So she didn't go anywhere. You just didn't, you, this is a moment for me to take opportunity to remind you that as I'm looking at you and y'all looking at me, we're looking at our parents. And we look at our parents, we're looking at our grandparents. And we look at them, we're looking at them. And all of that memory, the scientists may call epigenetic, all that stuff, all the mannerisms, all the things that we add on to came from them. Now, if you want somebody to be you, you have to create that person. <laughs> biologically or if you don't have biological children you're going to have to pour into them what was poured into you and so i'm just telling you all all of you at this point are her grandchildren and great-grandchildren and you didn't know it but this gives me an opportunity to say it so we kept going and so the afternoon class amoa in the short time between tuesday and thursday amoa salam comes up with a seven point and this is why i know you would love this a seven point method for talking about oriki because he's been african his whole life and he's had the fortune of being born into a family in a community that deals with african principles on the daily rituals you know all these things you know and so in fact they have a science institute that's very interesting that they've they've built that they're building you know i'm very fortunate and very happy to be part of that that movement they're doing and so as he walks 
everybody through his seven points as we're talking about Oriki for this final assignment that ain't due until the end of April, but I want to give it to him now and we're going to walk through as we do the other readings and discussions. Omoa articulates this brilliant concept of Oriki, which is a verbal and visual attempt to narrate the perceived reality. Everything has something that can be narrated. So Oriki is really a way of doing that with certain emphasis. And so he gives us seven points and he says one element. And, and in fact, when he finished, I said, okay, y'all, that is the Amoa Salam Oriki method. We naming it now. That's yours. You keep working on it. We all going to borrow from it. Y'all going to cite him. And I told him, write it up, son. He sent it to me. I said, okay, now we're going to go back and forth, develop this because this is how teaching and learning takes place. And he says, the first one was origin. The first element of Oriki is origin. What an Oriki does is let you know where you came from. And he used a proverb, right? A kind of proverb. You know, no matter how far the river runs, it comes from its source. So where are you from? Now, we know African people do that all the time. Where are you from? Which is why where we put our the physical remains of our ancestors is so important. Who we entrust those ancestors with is important. Where are we from? First thing we want to know, who your people? Where are you from? So a notion of a Riki, when you narrate somebody, you want to know where they from. And for African people, wherever we are from becomes the place we represent, we represent. So when Biggie asks, where Brooklyn at? We know immediately. Ah, okay, that's where you at. When Nas and them is like, you know, MC Shan came out with his The Bridge. And then here come uh, uh, KRS-One with The Bridge is over. South Bronx, South, South Bronx. Nas and them like, look, man, we got to represent Queen Bridge. Damn, we, but I got to give it to KRS-One. The Bridge is over. Was, was That was that was tight. And South Bronx, okay, that was tight. Now, let me get into it. New York state of mind. Let me just, let me get all the boroughs out from Queensbridge. I mean, origin, that's an Oriki. He's giving you an Oriki. The second one was power. Power. What are the capabilities of the thing you're trying to describe? What has it done and what can it do? You want to honor my mother, honor your ancestors, honor our ancestors collectively. What did she move in you? What did she move? What did your mother or father, what did your community elders, what did those ancestors that you knew, what did they change and move in you? And I guarantee you, if you learn, if you learn anything from the two of us talking, Professor Hunter, uh, if anybody in here learns anything from our conversation, you learn from my mother. That's an Oriki. You're already doing it. Character and quality was the third that Amor said. He said, you know, what are the characteristics of this thing, of this person, of this thing we're describing? And how should those things be engaged? My mother, and everybody knows people like this. She had a she had a she had a straight down the line, either this or that, for a lot of things. She was a Virgo. Oh. She was a Virgo. Yeah, see, see, this is what I'm saying. Exactly. You that's an Oriki. You put it right. It's a, you know Virgo, right? September, and we're gonna talk about that in a minute too. And how this thing process works, right? And so, you know. Part of Oriki is naming a thing for what it is. This is why, as we were talking, and I'm sure we'll talk about it again in a minute, I'm going to wind this up in a second because I want to just go through a most because I want to give this brother credit. This young brother, 20 years old, I mean, this is how it works. This is how teaching and learning works, right? I mean, so, and this is taking place 24 hours after my mother made transition as part of the process that I was trained by her character and quality, my father's character and quality, by their power, and by how they were trained, origin. My mother's father, my father's father were farmers. 
My mother's mother, my father's mother worked on farms. You understand? So when you see Kathy Carr, when you see Bebe, when you see Auntie, you're looking at Thomas Hayes Sr. and Gussie Hayes. That's who you're looking at. When you're looking at Gussie Hayes and Thomas Hayes Sr., you're looking at Ella Williams and Albert Williams. You're looking at Doc Hayes and Nancy Hayes. And then you go all the way back. You're looking at Peter Hayes and Miami Hayes. You're looking all the way back. Before that, we don't know the names, but we know the names. Why? Because if we can't name the label on you, we know we came from that continent over there. And it's God-forsaken settler colony. Forsaken by God, settler colony. Will not bend us to their oriki. Because their oriki is a little different. And they do orikis. Everybody does oriki. You want to know the difference between European oriki and their oriki of slavery? As we were talking, we saw, you saw, you know, uh, uh, Senyana Amis shared with us this trailer, you know, uh, our friend Kamal Bell. And by the way, let me, when I'm talking about Kamal Bell, I should shout out his mother who did these, uh, let me see, I usually keep them around. This is one volume of them. I don't know what I did with the other one, but, uh, oh yeah, here they go. These two <laughs> little things, uh, famous black quotations. When y'all see Kamal Bell on TV, and I told him this first time I met him, uh, this was the, we carried this around for years. This is from 1986, called Famous Black Quotations, and some not so famous. Selected and compiled by Janet Cheatham Bell. Sebaite Publications, Chicago, Illinois. Sebaite? Sebaite means teaching in ancient Egyptian. She was part of the crew that hung around the Kemetic Institute. Jacob Carruthers and the first time I met Kamal Bell, because of Sunyata, in fact, they did the special. I went down there, we stand there. I said, yeah, man, your mom, uh, he said, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I understand why he's got to explain to the world that we have to have a conversation about Bill Cosby. Wait, pa pause for a second, um, because I don't think we are seeing his mother when we see him. I see I see somebody that forgot who he was. Mm. That's what I see when I see him. And I, he's a very affable person. I've interviewed him several times. Nice yes. man. Yes. But I don't see his mother. I don't see those books that you held up. I see somebody who cares immensely what white people think, mm. who caters to white people. Um, we had a conversation, you and I, off mic, and there are, you know, you talk often about the curation. We're definitely going to get back to these Ariki points because I'm. We haven't left. We do all good. Yes. But, you know, I'm frustrated by. I, I just had this conversation with my white producer yesterday, and I said, you know, <laughs> you know I'm an irritant because I'm going to fight for all of the things that people need, that people want. And the powers that be are going to benefit from me fighting and pushing them to be better. But they rather have a black person that they feel comfortable with. So they're going to promote that person because that person doesn't bother them. That person is not an irritant and they love that black person that's never going to press them to be better, to do more. And there are a couple of people in, in the circle right now that are being propelled to the front of the class. And I just sit there and I smile and I also challenge, you know, should I say something? Because, you know, everyone is lavishing these platitudes. And I'm like, this person will sell you down the river as quickly as you could say your name. They don't care about you. And they're catering to this notion of like, oh, I am now the heir apparent. I have been the anointed one. I now have the check and the contracts and all of the jobs. And I'm, you know, happy to sit in this seat where I placate white. I feel like if you are making white people comfortable, you are not doing the assignment right. Something Ooh, is wrong. Yeah, Something you, is didn't, wrong. you didn't understand so, the assignment. <laughs> no, no we're, we're here to break the back of this thing that Ooh. has been us for 400 years. You making them comfortable? You giving them the past? Like, really? So, yeah, you got the TV show. That's nice. Win the Emmys. That's good. 
it's cute. You got some nice interviews. And I'm not saying the work that he does is trash. I'm just saying, how do it free us? And I don't see his mother. Is so that, is that his objective? No, he doesn't. I don't think he thinks about, I think most people in that position, and I, I can name names and rattle them off, are thinking my personal economy has soared. I am now in the public. I have a million followers. I am, uh, you know, winning all of the awards. And look at me. Interesting. And 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 if I can help a few people along the way, you know, I'm I'm giving people jobs and you know, <laughs> black people are benefiting. And and you know, yes. Mm. I, I guess that that is a you know a win so for me. me. So let me ask you this. I don't. Want, I'm just going to ask you a quick question. She dedicates the first volume. There are a couple of volumes. This is the one I used to carry around all right. And by the way, let me name my man, Yusuf Harris, who had his ritual of initiation into eternity, what we would call his funeral. Last Saturday, just around this time, Yusuf Harris was the owner, the founder, the creator of Alkabuline Books in Nashville, Tennessee. He is from D.C., uh, lived in Silver Spring, went off to Morehouse undergraduate college, uh, came to Nashville to go to graduate school, Vanderbilt, taught at Tennessee State and Fisk. And as a young man, I was still an undergraduate, he started uh, something called about 35 years ago now, our cable line books in an old gas station, uh, former gas station, Jefferson Street, uh, right at the uh, entry of the campus of Tennessee State. And Yousef, that's where I bought this book. Yousef, after my first semester of law school, I came home and bought Plural But Equal, Harold Cruz. And then that summer read out of his store, How Capitalism Underdeveloped Black America, Manning Marable, who I later got to know, befriend, brilliant, now an ancestor, and a man who is still alive, uh, Afrocentricity, Malefi Asante. And Yusuf sold me those books. And while I had been reading, obviously, and studying, and I was before that, that really altered the trajectory of my life. And I continued along with some other things, but I wanted to shout out Yusuf for that. But I bought this book from Yusuf. But the question I want to ask you is in the dedication to this little volume of sayings, how do you, what do you make sense of this to come out? Let me see. To mm. Kamal, who is Let me see. Always, wait, wait, hold on. Go ahead. Read it, read it, read it. Let's see. To Kamal, who is always searching for knowledge. Hmm. Does that play in any of those other elements? The shine, the see me, the pick me's that the social structure and the social structure, Kira, looking at that commercial, I just laugh because everybody in there, it says it's a four part, but I'm looking at the people and how it was curated and how they're speaking. And I know most of those people and I just laugh because I already know what they're going to say. I knew the villain thing was going to come out of Jelani's mouth. I mean, I, I, this is a, I, I'm a, I, at some point I'll watch it, I guess. But how do you, does that factor in? So people who don't know, there's a Bill Cosby documentary that'll be out on the 30th uh, on Showtime. And mm -hmm. Kamal Bell is, did he produce it or? He, I, I think he, well, it may be produced it. He's certainly the narrative spine, at least on the on camera spine. Um. Yeah. <laughs> I think enlightened people, and I just had this conversation with somebody. Um, maybe sometimes people who are enlightened shouldn't have children. Oh, <laughs> I just said that. Uh, that's all right. They came out. That's how I feel. Uh, because I feel well, a lot of people say you shouldn't have any before thirty anyway, because you don't know how. To oh, do and it. I wanted to ask you because your mother waited. A your mother, born in the nineteen twenties, didn't have children until she was in her thirties, which was going against the grain of things. So let me just uh, footnote that because I want to come back to that because I had questions about. Okay, all right, because I give you a quick footnote. We can keep going. Okay, all right, yeah, tell me. Stay, stay on screen, stay okay. on screen. All right, no, because I'm, I'm- You know when I found out my mother had been married before? Oh, 
I found out my mother had been married before. After my father's funeral, wait, and I took her to the social security place to make sure that she got his survivor benefits. And we're sitting at the table, Professor Hunter. We're sitting at the computer monitor with the white girl. Yo. Nashville, Tennessee. I'm a grown-ass man. This is the year 2001. My mother is sitting there, cool as always. The year I have a word, itutu, means coolness. Now, every, all of us know somebody like this. She said, especially, let me pause. This is why I don't deal with gender. We're not going to intersectionalize our people. Who are we to each other? And But I'm going to tell you right now, black women, don't y'all ever sleep on the black woman. My mama's sitting there, elder. The lady, I, my mama's sitting in the chair. I'm sitting next to her. The lady is facing us. We can't see the computer screen. My mama give her social security number, give my dad social security number. I got all paperwork. The white lady is in there. She look up and say, hmm. So, Miss Carr, uh, we this is no problem. We're going to transfer your husband's survivor benefits. But uh, we see that you've been married twice. So which of your husbands do you want? My mom sitting there and said, hey, Wood. I said, Mom, you was married before. I'm a grown ass man. <laughs> my, mom, my mom said, yeah. I, for how long? The white lady, as the social structure does, because remember, she's nice enough, but ain't no humans involved. That's why Kamal, you know, we need to have a conversation about who is we? Who's Oriki is this, bruh? But I understand it's got to be their Oriki because it's on their program. They paid for it and you curated Negroes that are going to explain us to them. So this is a social structure documentary. Now that I know that, I don't have any expectations. I'm just looking at it to dissect it to help people not understand. There's no we. The white lady in our conversation because you can always be in everybody Black's conversation. Remember what the lawyer asked uh, in, the, uh, in the women of the movement said, uh, Yes, and then, yes, you can call me Mamie. And you need to say, yes, sir. Okay. I know how y'all are. I ain't even bright about that. Because anyway, so the lady says, uh, well, it looks like she was married about 10 years. <laughs> but, but look, here's the punchline. Here's the punchline, Professor Hunter. Because, of course, they're going to calculate the benefits based on when somebody made transition. Now, my mother and father got married in 1964. I was born in 65. My mother was born in 29. Yes, you do the math. She waited. And I'm the oldest. My mother sits there and the and the lady says, well, uh, doing the quick back of the envelope math and it looks like your your husband, your current, that, uh, Mr. Carr, actually survived uh, Mr. Hollis. And I said, he passed away? Yes. I said, when did he pass? Here's the punchline. When did he pass away? And she named it like 1970-something. And I said, Ma, did you know that? My mother looked at me and said, no. <laughs> Do you know? Brutal. Do you know that when we left there, my mother had pictures in her photo album in France. Met's France. She was in France, all fly. Had you know these country Alabama girls, these southern girls with their skirt, pencil skirt, and the blouse and the flowers. So got her hair in the pompadour joint. And we, as children, we say, "Damn, mom, where is this? You, you was in France." Even my mother was in France because her husband was stationed in the United States Army. He was an army. <laughs> in front of the Mercury car. They lived in Connecticut, all kind of thing. My mother's first husband was abusive. He's from Alabama, too. My mother decided 
that she was gonna leave this man. One gonna have no children with him. She stayed in that marriage for years until finally she got in a position where she could figure out how to get away. My mother went to his commanding officer and said, I am leaving him. So you need to figure out how to stop him from trying to have any retribution because I'm leaving. And if you don't, it's no problem because right now I'm on his benefits, his income, we're on this base, but it's no problem. I will stay married to him until I save enough out of his paycheck, if it takes me a penny a day, to buy a gun, and then I'm going to kill him. So it's going to be on you. That CEO kept Hollis out of her business. They got divorced. I never knew that story because I didn't even know she was married till I'm sitting at the benefits office. Switching over there. I'm going to tell you about the black woman. I already know you know. I'm just adding another story to what y'all already know about black women. So that's the story. Anyway, we hope that. Oh, man. My goodness. Yo, that, that right there makes me love your mother even more. But I mean, works. I already loved her. You don't need know. to know. You just don't need to know. Some things oh. you don't need to know. When I hear you, I already know. You got stories like, y'all don't even need to know this. I'm not even going to tell you what he knows. As you talking, I know you said I could name, but you ain't going to do all, it ain't even necessary. And be cool as a cucumber. <laughs> well, I, I don't have that Virgo coolness because I, I lose my cool a lot, which is why I have to stay in constant contact with people who keep me. That, that's, a, that's another level ninja that... Your, your mother has. Uh, she's African. You know how black women, they sit there just as smiling and you know, they, you, but you mess with them. They got a blade that will cut your whole head off and they won't even move. <laughs> your head just come off. What happened? I didn't even. <laughs> now, were, were you afraid of your mom growing up? Because she seemed like she did not suffer fools and did not play. And she was a woman. Uh, she seemed to be tall and, uh, yeah. you know, have some presence, you know. So I, I, you know, I see that in you as well. Was she wait, somebody? Wait, 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 I'll come back. I want you to finish because that was too long of a footnote. Okay, I'm sorry. That wasn't, but no, that was perfect. It was perfect. No, 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 no. go ahead. What talking about. <laughs> oh my goodness. Okay. Um, what were the the curation in the in the Bill Cosby documentary and mm -hmm. Kamal Bell? Ah, uh, I just want to sit in the mother car stories. I, I don't. No, even no, no. But we, we haven't left them. I, okay. I think for me, you know, and I didn't know. Uh, uh, Mama Janet. And I say Mama Janet even though I did not know her biologically because you know, I know she had an impact on me. So Kamal Bell had an impact on me without knowing he had an impact on me because his mama had an impact on me through her writings. And the community that she was a part of continues to have a, uh, uh, you know, Mama, uh, in fact, and again, all the people who have been reaching out, you know, um, uh, Ife Carruthers and um, I mean, all the people in the Comedic Institute in Chicago, um, all, all, all the people I, I could think of, Kamal Rashid. I got a photograph from Muriel Bala, um, who uh, a longtime member of ASCAC, Chicago, and brilliant sister um, of my mother with uh, a sister, Bobby Womack, B-O-B-B-I-E, Womack, who was a brilliant sister, a librarian, teacher, master teacher, part of the Community Institute for years, who made transition uh, years ago, who worked on Black Books Bulletin. In fact, I was just reading some. I was pulling. I don't even think I. I thought I had a copy somewhere around here because I was rereading an. Oh yeah, an interview with Gil Scott Heron. 
these are one of the great pop publications, uh, Culture and Kinds Black Books Bulletin. This is the, this issue is from 1979, but it goes back to 74. And uh, be no no e. There's Bobby Womack's name right there, Bobby Womack. Mm -hmm. Hockey and them uh, edited Black Books Bulletin. There are no publications currently in Black America that come close to the publications of the 1960s and 70s. Nothing even close. There's nothing you can name that is measures up to one fifth. Of one fifth, what am I saying? Five percent of the things that were published during that period. But at any rate, I knew Mama Bobby and well, and you know, we talked. So they were in Nashville for an ASCAT conference. And I'll never forget my mother, who, you know, was one of the council of elders that, that presided when uh Mario Beatty and Valethe Watkins got married in Detroit, you know, with Marimba Ani, Asa Hillier, Jake Carruthers, so many others. Um, who uh, but anyway, they're in Nashville, and two things stick out to me immediately. One is my mother and Nzinga Radabisha Heru, who is now is also an ancestor out of Mississippi, uh, St. Paul, Minnesota. They migrated up there because her daddy said, we're leaving America. We won't leave America, but I'm going as far as I can out of Mississippi without leaving the country. And that ended up being St. Paul, Minnesota. <laughs> Shout out to the Rondo Mbongi, the community up there. But at any rate, African, Claudine Parker was her birth name. And Nzinga Radabisha Heru, her, her African name, president of the association. We came to we went they came to Nashville. I guess this would have been 19. My nephew was a baby. So Ellington, so that would have been around 2003. At any rate, the two of them are in the back of this auditorium. These are Africans, drum playing, comedic language studying, libation pouring, African clothes wearing, Africans, places full. We at Tennessee there. My mom is in the back of the auditorium with Nzinga, and they singing gospel spirituals that they remember from childhood. <laughs> Understand, to be an African don't need that you have to know African language. You never stop being African. So they didn't hear back there. I'm just laughing. And the other thing is she's sitting with Mama Bobby, and because they look like sisters, blood sisters. So everybody was taking pictures as they were talking. They said, sit down, let's take y'all pictures. So they took the picture. And, and Muriel, thank you, Muriel, sent me a copy of one of those photographs because you know, we putting together montages and everything. We're planning the ritual. I said, I have to say this. Was I scared of my mother? Yes, in the sense of that perfect loving fear. In other words, my mother's correctives were the correctives of you know better. So they weren't the fear of the whipping. They were the fear of disappointing because you know better than that. My mother in the missionary choir, in the senior choir, came out new sitting. We, we sitting on the front doing something crazy, whatever. And my mama could look. Y'all, we all know that look with that little turned down frown. Like, that's enough. And it wasn't fear of retribution. It was, you know, you wrong. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And it wasn't, and, and, and I'll contrast that very quickly with Dr. Williams, Jamie Coleman Williams, who I told you all, I uh, mentioned to you, who made transition same day as my mother, same mother as my mother, 103 years old. Jamie Williams talked about coming out of Dunbar High School in Louisville. And this, oh man, we'll have to do a whole, we, we should, we'll do a you should know about her. And shout out again to our brother, my man, Larry Crow who interviewed her about almost 20 years ago for the History Makers. And uh, Dr. Williams, the story she could tell. Jamie Williams got a scholarship to Wilberforce University at 16 years old, uh, was given to her by Reverdy Ransom. If y'all don't know who Reverdy Ransom is, I started saying you better ask somebody, but who could you ask? Because one of them is now ancestor. I thought I had a book on Reverdy Ransom somewhere around here because I was looking for it. I'm sure I'll find it in a minute, but if I don't find it in the next 
four or five seconds, I'm going to keep going and then I'll just have to refer to it. Oh, going in. All right. I would, it's called The Sage of Tawana. Ransom was brilliant. In fact, Du Bois says that Reverdy Ran it was a speech Reverdy Ransom gave that really at a speech on John Brown, Parker's Ferry, that really gave them the seed for what eventually became the NAACP. He was a bishop of the AME Church. This is how uh, far back Dr. Williams goes. She came out of Dunbar and she said all her friends were going to Kentucky State in Frankfurt. And she wanted to go to Wilberforce because she's a good AME girl. African Methodist Episcopal Church till she rolled back to the ancestors. She was the first woman to be appointed as a general officer of the African Methodist Episcopal Church and fought for who became eventually the first woman bishop in the church. Of course, Vashti McKenzie. They, she's the Delta too. Jamie Coleman Williams was the Delta. But I said I'd say, and we can talk more about her in a minute, but in terms of fear, she said, she was telling Larry a story and she was like, yeah, when we were in high school, the girls never worried about going to this room that they had at Dunbar where the punishment would be held out because we knew the principal wouldn't whip the girls. And then she went on to talk. And I thought, see, we're in a society now where you can't put your hands on children. <laughs> but she said it so casually <laughs> in terms of, uh, 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 of, a, of an adult whipping a child that was not her or his blood child. And I think about that when people talk about fear and fear of their parents or fear of elders. And I suspect that that way that corporal punishment was framed for a lot of people, and this isn't to explain it, this isn't to define it, this isn't to condone it. It's simply to offer a glimpse as to when we talk about fear and love, sometimes, hopefully all the time, but we know not all the time, but there's a perfect co-mingling where that fear isn't based in insecurity or terror but the fear is based out of we both know that i shouldn't have to do what i'm doing you understand and so in fact that gives and i'll end with this it gives, actually now i'm curious about the origins of the phrase this is gonna hurt me more than it hurts you now I'm curious about that. I'm wondering if there's a provenance that that lies outside of Africana, because that makes perfect sense in that context. If you yeah, anyway, but I mean, you know, be, so were you scared? Were you scared of either your parents? <laughs> were you? Did you have fear? Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes. Until I until I figured them out. Oh, interesting. Yeah. You know, but that that comes with time and spending time, and once you figure out what uh drives your parents you know my father coming out of newark and poverty was driven by something that i could tap into and then we could have a conversation you know i was wrong a lot i was doing a lot of things you know but he could talk with me which you know which was uh valuable for both of us so um somebody so wanted to know what's your mom's favorite gospel song i just wanted to you know somebody oh lord see that's in fact me and my brother and sister now are trying to get through this thing i think we've basically reached the consensus that whatever opens up the ritual will probably need to be community because my mom was one of them old long meter negroes you know how they do in the church when they get up you know and they start singing and uh uh, charge to keep I have, you know, charge to keep I have. Mm -hmm. But my mother, 
it really didn't matter the song because she was gonna sing. So <laughs> you know, so you know, and and I promise you, as I sit here and and, and thinking of that question, I see my mama with all of her. They were always old. They were never young. You understand? I mean, but she was the last. She's about. She's just about the last one, Sister Scott. Jenny, oh man, Jenny Robinson, Sister Gentry, the Mother's Board, man. They just rolled deep, the Missionary Choir. And you know, we, I came up in the 70s. So James Cleveland, Andre Crouch, you know, that was the music. But of course, when you see James Cleveland, you're really talking about Albertina Walker and the caravans. And we talked about that. We talked about the Black Church. There's a genealogy there, which actually, in terms of uh, uh, the uh, the Amoa Salam method, he names that as a feature of Oriki as well, relationality or genealogy. I mean, when you were doing an Oriki for somebody, it's key to talk about the relationships. What is the nature of the relationships? What is the causal existence? So when you hear me sing, that's my mom, because in terms of a favorite song, I would think more in terms of a favorite modality. So if they sitting here while we up there with Charles G. Hayes and them who was hot at the time, G's can't work it out if you let him. G's can't work it. Any problem that I have, I have, cannot be the song. That's how we singing, right? My mom and them, them, them ladies, them older ladies, they sitting down there. They're not going to sing G's can't work it out. But my mom is like, mm she gonna sing it too in the hum but in the choir stand in the choir stand they gonna go with the good old good ones which is why the young people endured missionary sunday <laughs> the fifth sunday but i mean here they go with them old songs so you like amazing grace you know songs like that but here's the thing my mother her sister Car C. Davis, we used to call Ain't Boot from Alabama, lived in Columbus, Georgia. Her brother, well, her nephew, Willie, my auntie, my Aunt Bay, Rosetta, her son. They were in, I think my Uncle Aaron, my, uh, my Aunt Car C., my uh, auntie, her, her husband, they were all in those, in one of those many, some of y'all had them like this gospel quartets and quintets that littered the south in the 1950s so you see them at the little radio station going down to sing in the course so she did all the court and of course this is the period of sam cook pre you know pre-pop culture sam cook this is the period of those quartets that even that they crafted everybody from little richard you name it my mom was in those as well but by the time i came along she was in the old lady practice stuff. <laughs> so my mom's favorite song was whatever you singing, I'm going to sing it with you. I'm going to sing it with you. And she hit it. I mean, the last thing I think I think it's her favorite song. When we were all in Nashville Thanksgiving, mom sitting there and she was talking and then we all sitting there listening. And then she just hit a, uh, hit a hymn and then we all join in. My mom said it off. Y'all all know what them set, set it off elders. They just start, you know. And then, you know, I said, you know, we all got to go that way. And so I thought to myself, hmm, -hmm man, where you gonna run to? Cinnamon. And everybody got to get in where they fit in. The babies, the old people, people can't <laughs> sing. Mm -hmm. And then before you know it, everybody's singing. 
And then she stopped, everybody stopped, and you just, you hear all that. So yeah, my mother's favorite song was whatever y'all singing, I'm singing it with you. Very few things that she wouldn't sing. Anyway. <laughs> I, I wrote down remember because you know when you held up Kamal Bell and I said what I said about you know I, I feel like you are you can't be divided either committed to the movement and and feeding mm -hmm. and feeding or or you're committed to feeding and seeding your children like your mother poured into you and your father poured into you I don't think you could do both very well and I think you know history proves that those people who are feeding and seeding a movement their mm -hmm. children very rarely very rarely uh live up to all of that promise um and i think you know kamal's you know you you want your child to not experience the hardships you want them to have all of the education you want them to have all of the things so you know i think that's what we see you know somebody that is you know looking for acceptance outside of the framework of africanas well that's it is good because that 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 allows us remember we, when Amoa said origin power character and quality his fourth category of oriki is trajectory mm. meaning how do you ritually narrate a thing and pour into the thing so that you're talking not only about what they are and who they are but who they will be so an oriki speaks to trajectory and so when we, and he, uh, his last one was name, but in terms of, uh, of trajectory, when we talk about the people we elevate and lift, so in a moment of, uh, of biological death, there, during that ritual, we're trying to connect ourselves. I mean, you hear ministers say this all the time, Al Sharpton likes to say it a lot, right? He said, you know, the most difficult thing for a preacher to do is uh, preach the funeral of a trifling Negro. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Because what you're really called on in that moment to do is give them an oriki. In other words, I'm not looking for an accurate accounting. What I'm trying to do is preserve the best out of that person, which includes the hopes for them, the trajectory. And a lot of times you'll find it in the names. I mean, Kamal's name is Kamal. That name is given to you by somebody in, in a naming space who has a trajectory they project to you. And quite frankly, there will be people not like you or I who would um, look and say, okay, I learned something from this. He wouldn't talk with the clan. I'm never going to talk to the clan. But Kamal Bell, who mama said, he's always looking for knowledge. May you continue to, that's potentiality. That is the trajectory. May you always search for knowledge. Well, yeah, you searching for knowledge. Now that don't look like the way I want it to look like. And guess what? If we take in Thich Nhat Hanh and, and Martin Luther King, beloved community to heart, then you, somebody need to talk to them. I'm not evolved enough in terms of character because my mother's grandfather, my mother's mother's father was an Indian from Alabama. And according to the family, Oriki, he bit a white man's nose clean off, which is why they had to leave. <laughs> so, so my point is, you know, I didn't get that in my epigenetics. I'm going to fight you. I believe what King said. I understand it. I understand Thich Nhat Hanh. I want to grow to that point. But we took too many punches in the face and punched back too many times for me to build Oriki to our people to let y'all keep Rosa Parks on that bus she and she and her husband and raymond ended up in, in my in detroit because they waged war on the white supremacist system and wasn't no need to have to not ever get a good night's sleep again mo's right 
ended up in Illinois because he pointed his finger and say, Darhi, and I don't give a damn. So I'm not going to stand out here and let y'all lynch me. And love our brother, Glenn Turner, who said in that, in that mother's, uh, in that uh, women's mm -hmm. movement, putting the words of Rose Mose right, interpreted through Mamie Till Mobley's book, said, you know, I'm through with Mississippi. They can have my little piece of it. I ain't mad at you, Moses. I'm saying, but the great migrations were often triggered by moments of physical resistance. So my mother's grandfather, who of course I never met except I knew her, I came out of her, which means his genes in me too. So, you know, Albert and Ella Williams, who created Gussie Williams, who became Gussie Williams Hayes, who became my mother's mama, or we call Big Mama, she they're all in me. So I didn't get that gene. I don't know what Kamal Bell's epigenetics are because I share with him an affability. I get along with everybody until I don't, you see. And I don't have that gene enough to do what he does. And God bless him because you're right. That's the kind of person that this social structure can tolerate. But here's the, here's the problem with that, I think. Langston Hughes, I forget the, the, the verbatim quote, and I should remember because Jamie Williams, Jamie Williams and McDonald Williams, her husband, who met on the campus at Wilberforce University when they were both hired to teach, they edited a, an anthology of black speech called The Negro Speaks, 1970. Husband and wife. He was the director of the honors program at Tennessee State. She was the chair of the Department of Communication, speech and theater with my major. She made transition, like I said, same morning as my mom. He made transition a couple of years ago at age 101. They were life mates from the time they started teaching at Wilberforce. And they went a lot of different places over the years and ended up at uh, ended up at Tennessee State. But I should remember this verbatim quote because they were all about speech and rhetoric and they would memorize stuff and have us memorize stuff, which continue what we did at the church. But uh, what was the poem Langston Hughes wrote? It said, look at the Negroes meek and my meek and mild beware the day they change their mind see mm -hmm. there may come a day when the wrong person or the right person depending on how you narrate it says the right thing to come out bill and then the headline reads cnn reporter strangles white <laughs> i mean see because here's the thing about epigenetics you know what i'm saying you don't know you've crossed the line with black people until you've crossed the line and at that point the naked terror you understand? In fact, shout out to my man Lupe Fiasco and his sister, who is a teacher who taught at the Center for Inner City Studies, in fact, Chicago. Uh, they came to Howard a few years ago and they brought a film that one of their friends had made called The Revenge of Emmett Till. Where Emmett Till comes back. <laughs> you understand? And we have that sentiment. So I don't know. I don't know Kamal Bell that well. I mean, when, when I met him, you know, as I said, y'all didn't introduce us. We're sitting there. He's interviewing us about D.C. We're sitting there. I like the brothers, like you said, like you say, you've interviewed, you talked with him, but there's a moment when that trajectory, that hope may change, and the Oriki part is how you narrate it. Mm -hmm. So this four-part documentary, to me, will be no different. Everything is an Oriki. In other words, the question, but the question becomes, can you build an Oriki for Bill Cosby in a governance structure? No, and in the social structure at the same time, there's no because them people right there, you know, there's between Bill Cosby, Karen Hunter, and Greg Carr, there ain't no difference. 
Please understand that whatever they saying about him, they can say about you. Right well, now. no, you ain't. I don't think you're drugging anybody and having sex with them, and neither am I. Uh, no, 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 no. no. Over there. My point is, we could have that kind and need to must have a conversation. But when you bring people in for whom none of us are human, then unlike, for example, I'll give you an example Variety Magazine. I don't know if you saw it, just came out. Uh, Joss Whedon, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, mm -hmm. right? Uh, Avengers, Avengers mm -hmm. Age of Ultron, all that. Well, of course, his activity has been coming out. The brother who's in uh, Women of the Movement, who played- yeah, Ray like, Fisher. Yeah, Ray, Ray Fisher, who you've talked, right? Ray, Ray, Ray mm -hmm. talked to. All of it's coming out, what kind of abuse he did, what, all this serial abuse he did, all this abuse he did. Of course, Woody Allen will never be canceled. And so forth. That's not to, this isn't what aboutism at all. What I'm just saying is that Oriki is an interesting concept because- as I said, we were testing these shows and says, oh, yeah, okay, so I'm waiting for uh, uh, when can we talk about George MFing Washington? <laughs> when can we talk about John F. Kennedy? In other words, I'm all for the when can we talk if there's a we. But if we gonna talk about Bill Cosby, we gonna talk about Bill Cosby. Right. And so that's, that's gonna that's let you talk because you don't, you don't cancel nobody if it serves your, your purpose. Yeah. And so the question is like, why do a documentary on Bill Cosby that's, you know, social structure and have all of these black people denigrate? Because we were talking off mic a little bit and I'm like, Bill Cosby ushered in at least a couple of decades of pride and understanding of self from Fat Albert to the Cosby show, to a different world, Alvin Poussant, you know, all of the, the pride in that, that we had. So I'm not going to erase or eliminate Bill Cosby. We're going to deal with him honestly, but what this documentary attempts to do is like a hundred years from now, all Bill Cosby will be known for is drugging women and having sex with them. And that's not right. It's not fair. And, you know, for somebody black to be responsible for that, I feel like some of us feel like we can Trojan horse, this thing <laughs> we sure can't isn't that something we, we think and, and let me say i i've been guilty of that like, oh if i could just get in then we i'm gonna get in I'm gonna flip again. but the game is like i don't even want to be inside the game nope. i want to be outside the game throwing bricks and everything <laughs> at it to dismantle it let's or stop trying to get bricks. inside or building brick or building something with the brick or building something outside of it that's because yeah. guess what this thing about to collapse and so when when a more his next category let's talk about that of oriki right circumstance he says an oriki gives you a sense of environment. Where did this thing come from? But not just that. What would be what would be the environment in which it could better thrive? So the example, let's use the example you just gave of Cosby. Because, and in fact, let me tie this to the question of death, because we're talking about social death too. Part of the reason you narrate something like this, and I'm quite sure everything you mentioned and everything else about Cosby, the positive things he and his wife and your family have done. Those things are going to be included in this. But in the commercial, the last word spoken, a sister says, we didn't know Bill Cosby. No, you didn't. Just like I don't know you. When you start talking about we, you're leaving who you are as an individual and you're building a community. Now the question becomes, what are the circumstances of Cosby? So. I think that obviously you've assaulted another human being. Let's set aside women or man for a moment, although we can't set it aside because it's part of the context. But let's just think about it. if you assault someone, there has to be a reaction to that. If we're going to have a society and we're going to have a better society, there has to be either the corrective, a disciplinary, maybe both, a punishment. All that stuff 
has to cohere in a society. And so you did that? Oh, no, man, we can't support that. No, bro, you got to pay for that. Now, circumstance. You took them to your hotel room. Mm-hmm. You at the Playboy Mansion? Mm-hmm. Hold on. The Playboy Mansion, you own that, right? Nah, Hugh Hefner. Oh, what about Hef? Oh, that's Hef, who made it sexy and swag, who, who married young girls when he was 158 years old, maybe three, and had his smoking jacket with his pipe, and they keep making movies, and they're building a rinky to Hugh Hefner, and Cosby is rightfully get crucified. I'm saying, yes, sir. Now, what about him? Oh, wait, hold on. There is no we. Mm. When will we talk about Hugh F. and Hefner? We not. Why? Because circumstance in Oriki congeals around a society who's crafted in the Oriki. You can't make no document. We will deal with that. Because I'm going to tell you right now, if you understand a society, you understand. Then here's the point. Here's the thing as it relates to this moment of transition. And this is where I would evoke again the artfulness of death in Africa. Uh, John Mack. Matt talks about this. You have the good death. My mother made a good death physically. Jamie Coleman Williams made a good death physically in terms of years, in terms of contribution. Uh, Saran Berhe, that young Howard student, made a good death in the sense that listening to the memorial, all the people she touched, she was a devout Christian. She was an African. She's president of the African Law Student Association at Hustle, Howard University School of Law. And you hear in her physical wake what's going to say is the good death. Then there is the burial ritual. The burial ritual has several important moments. First of all, burial is not inevitable. Every human society didn't always bury, right? Some societies can you consume by fire. You cremate this kind of thing. And then, you know, Carla Holloway talks about that a little bit as well. Uh, they had her, 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 their son's remains cremated. But biological death, is before ritual ascension, but, but that the biological death, there's an artfulness to it as well. Because what are you doing in the death moment? You are establishing in that death ritual lineage and continuity. Because everybody who's still in this physical form must now establish for the community what their relationship is to the new ancestor. That's why who on the funeral program, who going to sing the song, who going to get a eulogy, who going to pour libation, who going to be, who's going to be seen, who's not going to be seen, the mask. That, because that second step in the ritual, which is why I say to myself, I think to myself we, on Tuesday in the hip hop class, I was amazed at how many young people did, were not aware that Stevie Wonder's Happy Birthday song on his 1980 Hotter Than July album came as part of his political contribution to getting Martin Luther King's birthday being a federal holiday. And so I read from them from Gil Scott Heron's uh, memoir, The Last Holiday. We talk about it and we played uh, and then we played different versions. Remember that version, the hip hop version, Dexter King and them, they all went to Atlanta or some and Fat Boys and Stacey Ladisaw was on it. Uh, everybody sing for Martin Luther King, Menudo, all them did the Martin Luther King album as well. Melly Mel was on it. At any rate, I say all this is background. The death ritual for Stevie Wonder can you imagine what mm -hmm. that's going to be? The posturing? Hell, they I forgot how many times, and I watched this. I don't know how many times they changed James Cleveland's suit at his funeral. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> On the other end of the spectrum, you got the people who have the new marriages or the other families. Lou Rawls, for example. Everybody mad. Oh, you married this lady, and now she even took over, and now look at the death ritual. They got you in the casket with a Kangol turn on backward. And all I'm thinking is, have yourself 
Oh, merry little Christmas. I was born on a dump. My mama cried and my daddy got drunk. I'm thinking, this is this is Lou Ross. Me, that ain't Lou Ross. I mean, the death ritual establishes lineage and continuity. Those of us who are here, but and then the next step is the ascension. Talking to my brother and sister, we plan and say, okay. You know, it's COVID, so everybody can't come in that. No problem. We'll have the live streams kind of thing. But please help people understand. This is the ritual. But in many cultures, Akan culture, Yoruba culture, many cultures in Africa, there is then the ascension moment. Because when a person makes physical transition, that's the beginning of the journey. And there are dates set. Sometimes it's a month. Sometimes it's 40 days. Sometimes it's 60 days. But there's a moment when you say, okay, they made it into the ancestral realm now. We call that the ascension. So I said, we're going to put that in there so people don't feel like, because when you have the ascension, you come back and then we open up the thing. We got a two hour, two and a half hour window. We got to get to the cemetery. Okay. All right. But that's the moment that marks that. The next moment is the ascension moment. That's when we have the thousand person Zoom and everybody come in and put it in chat and unmute people because now the physical remains is only a part of it. And in many cultures, you know, North Africa, one of the places, I mean, the ancient Egyptians, you prepare the body for royalty. Some cultures, African, not just Africa, but other places, but I'm thinking about a couple of African cultures in particular where they would say, you know, with the physical body, we got to literally remove the decaying flesh. Why? Because it's not necessary. Now I think about when them Solomon and you sing, this whole house will soon pass away heaven and earth uh, you know, he goes on. I mean, you know, this old house or more house men's at the uh, Glee Club at the Glee, uh, Glee Choir at the beginning of school days. When you when it comes on, you study a montage of ancestors. I'm building me a home. This earthly house is going to soon decay and my soul got to have oh Lord, somewhere to stay. Oh, oh, my Lord, when you see me moaning. And then the brothers in the back, I'm building me a home. People get, and then that's when the grief comes out. Because you realize they're gone. Their physical form, they built the home. You're really singing for yourself. And so in that death ritual, the ascension recognizes you made it. You made it. We get messages. And if you really are in tune with that, you get different messages. You see the things going. The next moment, marked at the death ritual, but then continuing is the monument. Where are your people? One of the things that I know we're going to do, we we'll ask our cousins in Alabama already, you know, bring some grave dirt from Big Mom and Big Papa's grave. Because my mother used to always say, you know, I'm going to go with my parents. Okay, I don't know if she ever said it to my father. You understand? But I've heard her say it. But we are going to have her physical remains interred where my father is in the Middle Tennessee Veterans Cemetery, which is difficult. And I'll talk about that. Well, I'll talk about this now in a second. Because the military cemetery, just like Arlington, so you see a little white, you know. And I remember when they said, okay, here are the options you have for symbols to go on your father's uh, stone and where your mother will be. Okay. They got a star of David. They got a star and crescent for the Muslims. They got a cross for the Christians. Or you don't have to. Okay. Where you get the cross? No cross, no crown. You ain't gonna put no cross on nothing I'm under. 
but that's it's not me. This is my father and mother. My mom stole cold Christian, even though her Christianity expanded the way Howard Thurman's Christianity expanded. But she still was a Christian of the book, that contradictory jacked up book in so many ways. Don't matter, though, because she read the book in my mind the way that you're about to read the Odu Ifa. I'm going to use these stories to tell a story. But Jesus was her man. <laughs> Jesus was her man as my dear friend. Uh, Aslaku Baharnu, who is the librarian at Charles Bloxon collection in, in, in Philadelphia, where I worked with Mr. Bloxon. She and I worked with Mr. Bloxon. And Aslaku, East African, Ethiopian, hardcore Christian. And I mean, one day we was in there talking about something. I said, Jesus Christ. And it's like, oh, don't say that. I said, oh, I'm sorry. Jesus Christ, that's your man. She said, he's my favorite man. <laughs> I mean, so Jesus Christ, my mom's favorite man. But she said, I'm married. I, I want to. You know, go with my parents. Now, she ain't said that in years. Now, she'll be with my father, her husband, and you know, now she was, she's cool that she, we talked about me, and my mom wasn't scared to death. She, you know, she she know where she going. So, we talked. But my cousin's gonna bring some dirt from Big Mom Big Papa. Why? So they'd be there too. I mean, so the whole notion then of the monument. That's why I said this Bagua funerary sculpture piece that I showed y'all, one out of many. Like, what do you mark the place with? And if it's not sculpture, if it's not statuary, it's a tree, it's a place. Where are your ancestors? So the idea then of, uh, of monument is important. Where will the monuments be? And one of the things that um, Professor Holloway, Dr. Holloway, Carla Holloway does in her book, she talks about passed on. She talks about the monuments. And of course, uh, my friend Tammy Gibson who travels to a lot of those places, honoring the legacy. This is the first volume of her book where she goes to a lot of these places. You know, you see where our ancestors are. Where your ancestors are very important because it allows you to return, allows you to come back. So when you see the desecration of where Emmett Till was killed, where you see, you know, and the cemetery where Emmett Till is, where Mamie Till is, where, you know, her parents are, where they, when you see them there in Chicago, they put a little sign where it says the Emmett Till Parkway, they took a little miniature version of the science in Mississippi and put it on Emmett's grave because it's just a little square in the ground. But these places are very important because they are important because they mark where your ancestors are. And when you visit them, you pay tribute. Now, people say you can bring flowers to the cemetery. Arlington, you can't bring no, 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 no flowers. But as we've talked about many times, when I go out to Arlington and visit ancestors, Thurgood Marshall, Joe Lewis, Mega Evers, I told y'all last time we were out there, my friend Erica, I said, Koye, her niece and myself, we out there. And you go to Mega Everest, it's the same white stone everybody got. My daddy got one look just like it. My mama gonna be right there with her body. gonna be right there with his body. You see the little stones on top. Why? Negroes then brought rocks. They didn't look around. So I can't just come out here and not put something on it. And as we were leaving there, coming up, coming down the part, the, 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 the little pathway were his nieces and nephews the children of Charles Everest, his brother who had just made transition and they had brought her, their father up to be interred in Arlington. And so the rituals of monument are very important. And then of course, uh, the, the last thing that, that he talks about, Mac talks about is then the transition to how we anchor the ritual preservation of that ancestor going forward. So the burial is just the, at the beginning right after the physical death moment. And this is where it's interesting. I was showing my students because the Introduction to African States class has an assignment. They're going to use the History Makers database that Larry helped build, Juliana Richardson and those. 
Um, okay. And she, uh, Juliana, we were on a call with History Makers last week, um, you know, putting together this group of HBCU professors who are really going to have students use this database. Uh, over 4,000 and counting interviews with different people of African descent. And Larry Crow has done over half of them. By, I mean, it's amazing. And I showed them an interview with Christine King Ferris, the sister of Martin Luther King, who was a professor at Spelman for a number of years, who still walks the earth. And she's talking about 1969, the year after her, hus her husband, the year after her brother was killed. King was one of those deaths which you consider, okay, is that a good death or bad death? How do you want to characterize it? Of course, Tiknock Khan is like, man, it just, man, it just, I was, I was devastated. I was, but I vowed I would carry on. Okay. The death ritual. We talked about Sidney Poitier a couple of weeks ago and how he and Harry Belafonte back and forth over what should happen at the moment. And Caressa King talked about Belafonte stepped in and took over and made sure everything. So that death ritual still pervert is, is in our mind. And then you go forth the memorial, right? He was buried where his family was, with his parents uh, eventually, you know, over there. And But then they moved him over by the King Center. And now he and Coretta are there in that crypt right outside the King Center, right there, Auburn Avenue, down the street from where he was born. But now you've got to get to the moment past memorialization uh, and monument of how you then keep the ancestor alive. And here's where the critical moment, I showed these students this interview. And his sister said, we wanted to honor Martin King, my brother. And the interviewer said, so why didn't you go with April the 4th when he was assassinated? I said, no, we go with the birthday because that's when he came here. Says very... When did we stop being Africans? The answer is we did not. Why in the West you going to mark only the day they became an ancestor? You mark the day they came here too, and you often mark that day first. So the birthdays became very important. The year after King was killed, not even a year after he was killed, because it's January, they start celebrating in D.C., and in Atlanta, they moved to the, to the birthday. The birthdays are important. The days they were taken are tragic as well. Carla Holloway right, has a whole chapter about the violence of death. So you see those children that were killed in Birmingham. They marked there. But when is Denise McNair's birthday? When is Eddie Mae Collins' birthday? When is Virgil Ware's birthday or Johnny Robinson's birthday? When are their birthdays? We have they're in their families, they know the birthdays. If you just said now, we know November 22nd, 1963. Why? That's the old Ricky for America for John F. Kennedy. But when was his birthday? It's not really necessary. But what is y'all focus, man? Y'all always focusing on killing and death. And we, you got us doing it too. Carla Holloway writes about that. You got us. In fact, you know this saying. If you are anchored in the social structure, even your resistance is shaped by their pathology. Hey, man, you ain't going to work today? No, man. Hey, man, you ain't going. No. Only thing I got to do is stay black and die. Well, damn. That's defiance, but you've defined it in this existential dread. The only thing I do is stay black and die. No, the only thing you got to do is be in this moment and understand that they can't define you with a label like black and that death and life are perception. Man, that's crazy. You're talking that shit, man. Okay, okay, all right. Stay in the social structure a little bit longer. But the point I was going to raise with this is the birthdays are very important. So my mother, for her 80th birthday, we all were in Nashville, had a big celebration, 80th and 90th. 
Hanley came up, big thing. And we gave her, we say, I don't I hate to use that word. On on the occasion of her 80th birthday, we said, you know, you're going to come to go to Africa because she hadn't been to Africa. So my mother, the summer, the following summer with my sister, went with us to Kemet. And my mother went into tombs, temples, and pyramids of Kemet, 80 years old. And what you understand is that we will never know the lives of the vast majority of Africans who lived in the Nile Valley. Many of them were not interred in the ground, certainly not with the grandeur of the pharaohs and the high officials and things like that. But the markings we have of those humans who were interred, the marking we have of them reminds us that in visiting those places, in reading what they wrote, in repeating those words, we have access to those ancestors. So for my mother, there's a place in place that we call Epet Isut, the most selective places. And then there's Southern Opet. These places are known by the Greeks as Thebes and Luxor. You go to Luxor and going south in Egypt, and there's a little chapel from the Middle Kingdom. So now we're talking about what? I'm trying to remember, Beatty would tell me if I remember about maybe about fifteen hundred years before Christ. So about thirty five hundred years ago, it's a small little building. It's because they call it the White Chapel. The the metonetra, the carving on there, the Egyptian hieroglyphs are exquisite, raised out the limestone. So I mean, they're like a machine, but they're all by hand, essentially. Right? And there's an altar table in the middle. Everybody doesn't go to that. In fact, you kind of kind of know what you're looking for. People go in, they want to see hats, sits, needles. They want to see the reflecting pool. They see the things in and you see the tour guides. Right? And then we very quietly come in the front, the avenue of the Sphinxes. We come in and we get to the front and then we make a left and head right over to the White Chapel. Nobody ever goes over there with us. All the tourists are ready because y'all don't know what y'all are looking for. This is one of the most important centers of that whole, which is called the largest op outdoor open air museum in the world. I mean, they always got, you know, tour stuff, right? No problem. We get there, they got a rope around it because you ain't supposed to go around. But of course, the Nubians and the other people there guarding it, you give them something because they know you're coming. I hit them off with a few Egyptian pounds. They take the rope down. <laughs> we go in. But before we go up, we pour libation every time. My mama was there. We all up in there looking. Some of the students can translate. They're doing some translations. My mother's looking around, looking around, looking around. And then, so I'm in the corner. It's a little building. You know what I mean? And the altar table's in the middle of the floor in the center of the building. Small building, a little ramp. Okay. My mother, Angie Porter, was on that trip. She and her uh, her friend, Brittany Moncrees, they were students at Howard at the time. In fact, they did a lot of video and audio recording. And this is why I have a picture of this. My mother got on her knees at that altar table and start praying. Now, is that Christianity? Yeah. Is it African spirituality? Yeah. Is it, It's all of it at the same time. She made a prayer at that altar table. Many times I've been down to that altar at Canaan Avenue Baptist Church where her body is going to lie. She was at the altar in Africa, in Egypt, back in Egypt, at the place, at the memorial. And I said all that to say this. If you talk about when can we talk about Bill Cosby? My answer is we can't. Because there ain't no honest broker wheeze. The crying, the anger, 
the the, the punishment, the acknowledgement, the full swirl of human emotion and, and thinking and, and, and arguing and debating and creating that we would have to create to create an Oriki is different than your form of Oriki because there is no huge line to go to the White Chapel altar table in African America, but Negroes will spend their life savings to get up and look at that homely ass Mona Lisa at the Louvre because you have Oriki that you have made our Oriki. And in making your Oriki our Oriki and airbrushing out every criminal you have in your line and elevating them through your or narration of them to make them heroic, Napoleon, heroic, Henry VIII, heroic, even imaginary figures like King Lear, heroic, George Washington and Thomas Jefferson, heroic criminals. Now, when you consign one, Hitler, Mussolini, when you consign them, you consign them. But. We got to watch y'all, because if you wait a few years, you'll create Noriki and bring them back like they did nothing. And then we'll def and then we'll get some of us to defend them to the death, Lincoln. Defend them to the death, Roosevelt. Defend them to the death. Whoa, don't you know why? That's the power of Oriki. So finally in this this, this Oriki. Wait, let me, let me just jump yeah. in. Um, yeah. This week I had the honor and pleasure of interviewing Howard French. Uh, yes! Amazing journalist. And uh, I've invited him into Nubia because we're gonna have a conversation with him about Mansa Musa, but he rocked my mind. Uh, he's got a new book called Born in Blackness. Yes. Which centers- Oh, we, oh yeah, we, we talked about it. When we talked about, I remember the little girl asked Howard French a question in Nubia. That's so right. When he comes back, she can ask him now, voice to voice, this is perfect. This book, so first of all, um, for the first time, you know, we've talked Mansa Musa, Mansa Musa, Mansa Musa, richest yeah. rich man in the world, blah, blah, blah. Mansa Musa was the reason why Europeans knew that Africa had all of this wealth that should be exploited. In many ways, Mansa Musa and his trek from Mali to Cairo and destabilizing the gold market and giving gold everywhere. Yes. Was the spark that made them go, Oh, we need to we need to go there. That's right. Uh, this is not just how we get to China. Let's go there and exploit, pilfer, and take. That's right. And it 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 messed me up because I was like, had they not known, and and so part of that is also like governance versus social structure. That's right. Things it's just ours. That's right. Let's stop. Let's stop telling all of our things, all of our goodness and all of our, mm. all of, you know, it's like, even in this space, you know, which is why we created Nubia narrative. Yeah. Now all of the conversations that need to be had are not going to be had publicly because right. uh, all it takes is for somebody to go, Hmm, that's right. Wonder what's over there. Let's, let's that's go. Right. They have gold. They have that much. They're <laughs> wealthier than we are. Poor ass Portugal's like, Hey, poor oh, ass Portugal. Hmm. Let's just go take it. And that's because right. they don't see themselves as one, right? Let's create a oneness over here called whiteness. Called whiteness. That's and right. then let's go and divvy up this thing because they don't see, they won't see us coming. They hatched a whole ass plan on us that we're still fighting through. Well, and if they see us coming, we know enough about them to know that they don't have the same temperament we have. And I'm not talking about white and black because that didn't exist. I'm talking about various cultures that share something in common. If you and, and that's not to say we didn't have empires. Judy Most the Third, Mansa Musa himself. Once Islam comes, 
But this attitude that you're going to come and just take. No, you know what? Let's just give credit where credit is due. That's y'all, Europe. That's yours. And so, and so we can't, I mean, the power of transcendence. And again, we have to ask ourselves, what is the power in Oriki? And again, I think about it in terms of uh, Amoa, that Salam Oriki method in, in uh, Amoa Salam. Salam is like Asalam Aleikum, S-A-L-A-A-M. Amoa, young brother's first name, A-M-O-A. Um, when he talks about this question of his sixth category is relationality and genealogy. In, in other words, when you're the one through six. Oh yeah, 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 of course, of course, of course. Uh, um, first is origin. Where you from? Who your people? When you're saying somebody's a Riki, you're really, you really, you know, you're helping them remind themselves and remind everybody else of who they are. So we'll see that. Uh, power. In other words, what is there about uh, a capacity to influence? What have they done? What will they do? In a death moment, when you're doing an Oriki, you're really showing that person and you're showing every the community what they've done, what they do. Uh, character and quality. What is the nature of the person? The characteristics. How should it be engaged? So it's not just what it is. How should we engage it? So we live in a society that's constantly making Oriki. How should we engage it? As Louis Farrakhan always says, you know, y'all so mad at that Confederate flag, that damn red, white, and blue flag, more crimes were committed under that, and they keep going than that other one. But how do you narrate it? What are its characteristics, and how should we engage it? So people say, well, I'm an American. Okay, does that mean you believe, what did that uh, unreconstructed Klansman from Kentucky say this week? Oh, uh, yeah, black people vote in the same amount of uh, regular uh, capacity as Americans. And then people got mad. I'm an American. Why are you mad at him? You an American like he an American? What is the character? What is the nature? Number three, and including how should it be engaged? The fourth one is trajectory. Trajectory, ritual engagement in time and space. Uh, not only who somebody is, but who they will be. What are your aspirations for them? What is the trajectory? Circumstance. What is the environment they're in? So when you narrate people, you narrate the environment they're in. When we see the ritual for Nipsey Hussle, for example, all his people are going to show up. We see the ritual for, you know, whoever. People mark themselves in time and space. Aretha Franklin said, lay me out at the Charles Wright Museum. No way, but you're from Memphis. Nah, Detroit. Detroit, my circumstances. <laughs> Maybe. So there it is. And if you want to come talk about Aretha Franklin, you're going to have to share the stage, Bill Clinton. We invite you to social justice. Guess who you sitting up here with? Louis Farrakhan. Why? Because she was down with them. Deal with it or not. You ain't got to be here. The whole point is we go on. Six one, rationality, genealogy. What are the key relationships? How do we narrate people? Dr. King is killed. Bobby Kennedy is killed. John Kennedy is killed. What do they do? Stick all three of them on a dish and put them in your grandmama house. What the hell? Hold on. Let me get this straight. Them two right there is blood brothers, yeah. And they were spying on him, yeah. All right. And the guy who was working with them, Hoover, sent a tape to his wife saying, here he is having sex with women. And, he, and then sent him a letter saying, you should kill yourself, yeah. And them two blood brothers was passing Marilyn Monroe between each other, yeah. And you named airports for them. And then you gave him a statue. Well, what about the womanizing? No, 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 no. We're going to make movies like the Rat Pack and all that other shit. And we're going to kind of, you know, because these are women after all. And we're white people. So therefore, women don't really valuable. Okay, well, what about him? Yeah, it was terrible. And oh, man, when I tell you, all it takes is reading. If y'all want to see some make the hair raise off the back of your neck, 
Read Taylor Branch's Parting the Waters or Ralph Abernathy's uh, biography and Walls Came Tumbling Down. And some of the stuff, man, you'd be like, oh my God. But the Oriki, in terms of rationality and genealogy, that ain't necessary to curate for the purpose of trying to build this causal existence. This, 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 what is the relationship between the thing we're describing and the thing that came before and us? And of course, that ties to what Howard French does in Born in Blackness, because what he does, and he, I'm sure he told you this, you know, he's saying a lot of this is not original research, but I'm putting it together. All the research that talks about the fact that basically Europe took a piggyback ride on Africa and to become Europe because they had none of this stuff. You know what I'm saying? They took a piggyback, but what's the European Oriki? The European Oriki is when you sit down in elementary school and they start telling you about Cortez and Pizarro. When you get to middle school and the high school and they start telling you about Beowulf and Sir Canner, uh, Sir Gawain and the Green Knight and Shakespeare. I mean, and then you get to uh, to the to the adult world and they keep remaking all the movies to make you praise them because they're Orikis and hell they'll even put you in one. Uh, Denzel Washington and King Lear. They'll. But the point is, you're not going to turn away from our narration. We turned ourselves into ourselves to quote Nikki Giovanni in the European context. And damn Mansa Musa, he had a lot of gold. Yeah, but he also had scholars. He also had, not only he, he didn't have scholars, he represents millions of Africans. And then you came over here and learned farming from these Native Americans. And then, But in your Oriki, your number six, relationality genealogy, you have scrubbed all that and made yourself. And then finally, the seventh one is name. Name is everything. When you name the child, when you name the thing, you name what it is, what it embraces, and what it ignores, which is why there are countless Black children in the contemporary world who will fight a teacher for mispronouncing their name. That's not my name. There are names within names. My mother, born Catherine Hayes, my father's name, Catherine Hayes Carr. She was known as Kathy for her friends, then Aunt Kathy. Then, you know, then she was known as uh, Ms. Carr or Sister Carr. And she got older and then she became Mother Carr and then Queen Mother Carr to her blood grandchildren. And everybody was her grandchild. Everybody I went to school with, me, Jeff, Gus, everybody, you know, they all grandchildren, great grandchildren. But she's her, the first grandchildren, you know, um, my niece, Jamoke, and uh, Sania, and all them, you know, she was known as Big Mama, right? And then, by the time Elton comes along, my mama announced to my sister, I want to be known as Granny. That's interesting. Now, why do you change from Big Mama, which is what we called her mother, to, now with the rest of the kids, you will be Granny. And that was she never gave an explanation, but I suspect. See, Jamoke was the only blood grandchild born while my father was here. So she had Big Mom, Big Papa, physically, she could say. Ellington came just after he my sister was pregnant with him when, you know, my father made transition. So I think my mother was marking a relationship. But we all have names. And if you if you want to know the importance of name and Oriki and name how we narrate each other. You try to call somebody a name that you're not authorized by them to call you. So you you, you hear you hear elders talk to hey sweet pea come here. He said, Oh, sweet pea. Hey, hey, don't say that again. 
Only my grandmama can call me. In other words, there are certain names, you know what I'm saying? This is the Oriki. Now, think about that when we think about how we are forced into calling people we don't know. So this last thing on the commercial of Bill Cosby, uh, we didn't know Bill Cosby. I'm sorry. Did you know Abraham Lincoln? Why y'all call him Father Abraham? You you know George Washington? Why you call him the father of your country? Why do y'all keep referring to people by nicknames who would have had your black ass in chains <laughs> or in it, in it, but yet somehow you become endeared to them. Then y'all start talking crazy like, and then our constitution, you know what? Now I understand why y'all so confused and say stuff like, we're better than that. Are you the same people? So I, I'm saying I'd say that and I kind of end with this because we didn't, there's a whole lot more we can say, but we'll, we'll, we'll pause for now. Cause you know, we, you know, we've been going on for some time. I encourage y'all to read Carla Holloway's book, Passed On. Because she really goes through the contemporary, how we die, what are the rituals. She interviewed funeral directors, mortuary folk. I mean, all kind of stuff. Looks at the paradoxes, the rituals, the initiation, what the death moment means, how we don't accept certain things. Remember the uh, remember imitation of life? Hmm. That is the illustration of what happens when you turn your back on the governance structure. She doesn't narrate it that way. I'm narrating because she writes about the imitation of life. I think it's chapter three where she's talking about these rituals. The child rushes in. Ma is gone now. And, but in the Western sense, it's too late. You can reconcile with your mother. But and remember, Mahalia Jackson's in there. Soon I will be done with the troubles of the world. But in that death moment, how are you going to establish your lineage? You've been passing for white. What is the in the death ritual? What are you prepared to do at this moment? Now you know what you did. But just not on the death moment. Now going forward. Have you just now, in turning your back on the elder, did you turn your back on the ancestor? Then that can be that can be uh, repaired. But in the West, death is final. Han is telling you, man, stop dealing with that. Uh, she talks about the question of um, institutions and memoriams, tombstones, right? I mean, she talks about churches and mosques and where we have the rituals and these kind of things and who the we is, but. I I I then with 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 this for now. Um, I want to show you this. I just got a hold of this. Uh, Tuskegee University Cemetery Stories: The Lives That Build a Great American Institution. Lance Middleton, uh, did this. Uh, Lanice rather, Lanice Milton. Let me not say Lance. Lanice, there she is, right there. See, I love these elders. She's a culture keeper, and she worked for many years at Tuskegee. And when you think about the people who are buried at Tuskegee, and I've been to that cemetery, and I know Tammy Gibson, of course, has pictures of some of that in in her book. In these moments of transition, I think the way we honor anyone who has made transition, and like I said, we'll do a You Should Know about Jamie Williams. We might have to do one about Elza Soares, who was, uh, as I said, the Brazilian singer, Afro-Brazilian samba queen who's had put the Africa back in samba because Brazil tries to scrub out some of the Africa. Very important. And there's a whole backstory with her. Um, in these moments, we honor them by after that moment of interment, which is just the beginning. Well, the death moment, then the interment, then the rituals of ascension. Then after the rituals of ascension, we have the monument, kind of memorializing, monumenting. That's why you shift to the birthday. And then you have the continuing engagement with the ancestor. That's the process. That's the process. And all of it together forms that oriki, that verbal, that visual, that expressive engagement with everything we can perceive. That's what an oriki is. And so um, 
and it's just a beautiful moment. So the, the sadness is temporary. When you think about it that way, you want to get sad, you realize that's just the color of emotion, but ultimately there's nothing to be sad about. There's nothing to be sad about. Thank you for that. Um, there, there are a lot of Nubians in Nashville. Uh, Sister Amber reached out. Um, yes. She wants to bring something by. If oh. So oh no. Well, see, this is the thing with COVID. This is the this is the tragedy. We're working now on venue. Looks like it's going to be uh, third and fourth of February. Will be the uh, the rituals. Um, COVID. And let me let me say, and let's just say this not only to you, Professor uh, Hunter, but everyone. Everyone who has had somebody make physical transition during this pandemic, deepest sympathy and celebration of your loved ones, our loved ones, our community, because we know that this has is is different now than it was even six months ago, even certainly a year ago, two years ago. That we're coming on the verge of the two years where you couldn't do anything. So we're looking now for a venue right now. It looks like in Middle Tennessee and Nashville. Uh, which is a kind of blue island in the Confederates, in the in old Confederacy of Tennessee. There's some liberal kind of flexibility in terms of number, but it's still not going to be the number who we would want. So I can't really say a number now, but uh, it won't be, the ritual won't be next week. There's going to be a small ritual because she may transition to Houston. So they're going to have something there uh, small on the 28th. And then the third and fourth will be, in Nashville. I'll keep everybody posted if you are in the city and we have a venue that's big enough for people to come. Yes. But know that ultimately see, I didn't even mention that, but we can talk about that. I mean, people want to cook, bring food by. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I will, uh, I'll, I'll put that in Nubia for folks who might want to do, but I mean, we're good. Trust me. We're yeah. good. Yeah. I, and I, you know, I felt like Thank you, <laughs> yes, yeah, you know, you are so beloved that mm. people want to show you how much they love you. Mm. Um, and sometimes, you know, sitting still is oh, yeah. you know, just and just sending the love because we are spiritual beings. That's right. He can feel all of that. You all, know? Of it. Um, all of it. So the cards and the flowers, I feel like at some point I just thinking about, you know, my dad may transition. You know, now there are things you have to navigate. Man, you know, it's like, what do I do with these flowers? You know, it's just an extra thing to put yeah. on a family to do. Oh yeah, the flowers. You're, you know, you're showing the love. Yeah. Um, you yeah. know, is there is there another way? You know, is there an African oh, way? I see what you're saying. I see what you're saying. Well, I know what we're doing now, and we're following suit with a lot of people. Uh, when my father made transition, we set up a little scholarship fund, and uh, for students, and we're gonna add her name to that so the whole in lieu of flowers like yes. people say donate man we uh i'll let uh, i'll let everybody know shortly with the uh the bank and how to do that uh because my mother didn't she never met a stranger young people and you know between the th- three of us we went to school a lot i'm still <laughs> i'm working in school the last two the last two of my students that she saw was when you know, one of my children, uh, Maggie Ridge, graduated from medical school. I had her at Howard. She graduated from the Harry School of Medicine. And we came to town so that another one of her mothers, Reba Kelsey, who's on Morehouse School of Medicine faculty, could hood her. Because, you know, sometimes they let up people. And so 
Uh, and then my other child, uh, Shanice Thompson, who's on faculty at Bowie State, got a PhD at Ohio State. She was my student since Freedom School in Philadelphia. She went to Howard undergrad. They sisters. They came by the house and they sat with my mama drinking. She's sitting there drinking her coffee. Uh, that was just before. It was just before COVID. Not too long before COVID. The summer before. And so she never met anybody who wasn't immediately her child. So in lieu of flowers, and I'll, we'll, I'll give you. The, we'll get the information. Okay. If y'all want to put a nickel or two in the scholarship fund, we're going to everybody who we should we should have a fund big enough between all these scholarship funds that any child who needs to go to school and they ain't got the money should just be able to pick up the phone. Absolutely. So 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 yeah, yeah. This this will this will be another one of those things. So and, thank you, Sis Cameron. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and the team will post it and we'll put it up uh yes. notification in Nubia, the Nubian team. Yes. Uh because we, you know, every everybody, you know, <sighs> it, you know, when it first came, it was like what you know? I've, yeah, I've right. I was like, no, I don't know. And then yeah, you know, yeah. brother, you know um, yeah. Well, Jeff, Jeff, Jeff did that. Jeff put it on. Yeah. So I haven't been, I haven't touched social media, but I will. I promise y'all, I'm coming. No, so, nah, it's, it's yeah. just good to see you smiling. You know, of course, it's just, it's just good to feel feel you in this space, and it feels like this was right. You know, your home with us, and you know, we get to love on you. Oh yeah. Oh, I, I, I should say this. Yeah, that's about the favorite song. My my sister said just before she made transition, uh, before my sister recorded everything. She, she, she my mother recorded what she wanted said about her. You know, Martin Luther King did that. Apparently, she was singing, "Uh, you got shoes, I got shoes, all got, got shoes." <laughs> when I get to heaven, come yeah. on, I'm gonna walk all over walk God's all heaven. over God's heaven. And then my favorite. Line in there, of course, which this is the pettiness in me, so just forgive me. But I know that Dizzy Gillespie actually looped this in his swing low sweet Cadillac when he was like, Everybody talking about heaven ain't going there. Heaven, heaven, heaven. <laughs> <laughs> everybody talking about heaven ain't going there. Listen, <laughs> uh, that's shout out to Mitch McConnell, Donald Trump, and all you white nationals. Everybody talking about heaven, and if I'm going where you're going, I don't want to go. Come on, <laughs> but anyway, it's all good. That's just my. I want to go where your mama's going. Oh, we all going the same place. In fact, right. if we all live up the same place, somebody in for a rude awakening. That's what John Henry Clark used to say. He said, yeah, when y'all get to heaven and find out God is black, you're going to be like, oh, yeah, now you got some explaining to do. Yeah. <laughs> but that's what she was singing right before she uh, went on over there to walk all over. So, mm. <laughs> Well, thank you for, you know, getting up this morning. And, oh, no, and thank this. you. And, uh, you know, I'm I'm in I'm in the chat right now. We're gonna go head back over into Nubia and spend some time there after this. But yes. uh, I don't know. Are you doing office hours on Monday? Of course. Oh, okay. we gotta finish the job. Yeah, okay. we gotta finish the. In fact, I think probably for next uh, the next book we'll do again because we have it in Nubia is the Souls of Black Folk, and Carla Holloway devotes part of one of her chapters and passed on to one of those premature deaths, the one that really framed in many ways the rest of Nina Gomer Du Bois's life and framed her husband's life too. And that of course is the death of uh, of um, their son. And there's a chapter in the Souls of Black Folk called On the Passing of the Firstborn, Burgard, Little Burgard. And uh, so we'll probably do Souls of Black Folk next. But of course, on Monday, Miseducation of the Negro, we are finishing with the last six chapters. Hirelings in the place of public servants. 
that's chapter 12 chapter 13 understand the negro chapter i'm sorry chapter 13 understand the negro chapter 14 the new program chapter 15 vocational guidance chapter 16 the new type of professional man required chapter 17 higher strivings in the service of the country and i should mention there is an appendix i would encourage you all to read that because in 1933 carter woodson appendix much ado about a name in other words he says a participant who recently attended a historical meeting desired to take up the question as to what the race should be called africans negroes colored people or what this is a matter of much concern to him because he hopes to thereby to solve the race problem if others will agree to call negroes nordies he thinks he will reach the desired end by taking a shortcut anyway <laughs> he got jokes so again the, the seventh element of that amoa salam method of Ariki is name. What mm. do we call ourselves? And so I'm an African born in Tennessee, came out of the womb of an African born in Alabama and, and was created with her and her husband, an African born out of Tennessee. And I don't make no bones about being all those things. Mm. So yeah, we'll, we'll be we will be in office hours Monday. Okay. Uh and where do where do we go from here? Community of chaos that that uh we're tabling at until March. No, 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 March. March. Yeah, we do where do we go from here. That will lead us to King in April. Okay, I see. I see what you're doing. Yeah, because we and plus that gives people time to get it because I don't think we have a copy of that. Oh, and we yeah, it's copywritten. So yeah, yeah, I figured it. But which means which means subsidize those black bookstores. When I was there, saying Kofa Wednesday, <laughs> they said so many Negroes then called for the miseducation of the Negroes that y'all must. And then we realized, oh yeah, I was talking about it. Y'all reading? I said yeah, we look, we done bust thirteen hundred. You see, if y'all want to honor the ancestors, you are Connie Woodson. We can go 2,600, then we go to 3,900, slowly, slowly, slowly. But it is, I can't thank you enough. We can't thank you enough, Professor Hunter, because we have a space. We're literally redoing this. We're literally, they are arguing right now, y'all, in the Chronicle Education. I just read a couple of articles uh, speaking about two new books that have been published about the death of the humanities. And thinking about that in the context of these arguments back and forth. And they talk about, we don't need these great books at Columbia or Harvard. I taught them, but that's just liberal. We don't, and me, I'm just laughing, thinking to myself, or you could just turn away. We've turned away, which means don't not go to school. Let's do all that. But we're building the world we want to live in. That's a true Oriki. Narrative is an Oriki. Nubia is an Oriki. So thank you. Yeah. And that's our name. We're Nubians. Nubians. And we're family. And I love you. And please send your condolences to to your sister. And your Always, brother. they feel all the love. Uh, Maroon Medicine Chestermore. Yes, of course, of course. Ten thirty, ten ten. Well, actually, ten ten. Uh, and I have no idea because Dr. Sinjata is uh, brilliant. Uh, last week, if y'all didn't see last week, the the battle <laughs> between Trinidad and Jamaica Woo. through sorrel, through plantains through curry it was i mean it's just so masterful because the history mm -hmm. is woven into the food and the culture and the and the healing and it's it i just am so happy to be here so thank you thank you thank you thank, thank you nubians you. for picking up your mats and bringing your brick uh, and i look forward to more of you coming in to the fold love you dr Carl.